And I call them devils, these kiddie devils, right? This is any team, truthfully, I'm, I mean this hand in heart, any team who can plot and implement and take down clear at the moment, I, I do think it's kiddie. Join myself, Willow Callahan, along with James Skehill and Paul Murphy for the best insight this hurling season. OTB AM. With Gillette, get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Right, it's bang on half past seven. It's Tuesday morning. Uh, the band is back together. Owen, good morning to you. How are you? Very well, Ger. How are things? I'm good. You're a little bit croaky there. Are you, are you, are you, is this the hangover from Sunday? People always say to me that I'm, I'm croaky as if it's like not half past seven in the morning. No, it's, that's not it. There's, there are like, days when there's a, like a normal timbre to your voice where you're rested, well slept, you're, you know, the muscle relaxing, the, the pre-show routine has been done in full. And then there's other mornings where you're like... I just didn't do the pre-show routine, obviously. Then, yeah, or or you were just, or you were just, gallivanting around town. I could just do it. I could just do it on air. I could just like uh, go through uh, the, the various keys or whatever it is. Having the crack. Having the crack. Yeah. How Having was Fairview Park? Good, good venue. Is yeah. it? Can you hear it from your house? Yes. Yeah. Yes. You're even closer to me. I think I could hear it from my house from last week. So, um, better just go and be there rather than just listen to I it mean, from your house right because I was lying in bed last night going I mean it was uh, here it's like where is and then checking and you're on Instagram going ah that's the difference in our life at this point did, did you think of like picking up the phone and uh, or writing an angry worded email or anything like that last no, night no 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 although he did joke it was like oh we were all like oh this is going to be great it's going to be another concert and then it actually happened you're like oh you're well, almost it's there. It's gonna finish. It's fi- it's it's over now, is it? Or is there first of July? I think it's over. Oh, they're, they're still yeah, yeah. still going, yeah. still going. Yeah. Finishing with the stereophonics on Friday night. Oh yes, of course. You'll be there, with Wayne Rooney, maybe. <laughs> uh, the stereophonics went to the gig in Whelan, and a friend of ours was organising it, and she invited us all. And uh, one of my friends rewarded this generosity by booing the stereophonics loudly <laughs> for a large part of the set. <laughs> And I'm sure they deserve this. I don't know. I think they did. I mean, but if you, uh, fair enough. But stay if, true to yourself on an artistic level. Don't go. Don't go. Take, that was take the, the free tickets and no. boo the band. I, I like that, uh, honestly. I mean, it's, it was it was uh, outrageous. I will be standing outside Fairview Park booing Stereophonics well, yeah, on Friday night. You hate yeah, them. With a sign. Why did they, why were they untrue to their, I mean, are they not exactly who they should be? No, I, I mean... They, you just think they're crap. No, yeah, I do think they're crap. But I think that your friend um, staying true to themselves and actually booing an artist they don't like is... Okay, is, fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. That's consistency. Uh, are you having a good morning though, Owen, are you? Yeah. Yeah, what, what are you drinking there? Oh, you're enjoying your your flat white, are you? The last bit of coffee that the coffee machine gave out this morning. Oh, okay, That I was, I was queuing up for and then I went was, and I was like, oh, was suddenly it's broken. You seem to have broken the entire coffee machine. Well, so it's going to be a very lacklustre show this morning, folks. I just want to warn you in advance that there's going to be a good solid three and a half out of ten from the show today. Certainly yeah. from my part of the show. Oh, and I suspect it'll be, a, a, you know, given last night and the coffee, probably round out about five. So between us, we might just scrape a pass. Yeah, no happy days. As long as I got sorted from the coffee machine, that is all that matters. Yeah. Life is good. Uh, I also uh, I got dressed in the dark. As you, maybe you don't know this, but um, it was very early. And I put on this shirt and then I realised that there was a button missing. And I was like, why, 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 why do you keep a shirt with a button missing without fixing it? Yeah, yeah. That's just bad. No, it's, uh, it's a belly out day. And now, Well, I mean, sorry. And then I had to put on a hoodie, so now I'm sweating as well. <laughs> it's like it's been the worst morning so far and I forgot my lunch. But anyway... How, uh, and also, I think, I mean, I don't want to like completely take this down a dark path, but I think the mornings have drawn in already. Like this morning was a dark morning. I was like, are we already in September? So uh, happy Tuesday, everybody. It feels like it's, uh, it's, it's been kind of September-ish. Yeah. Actually, no, it doesn't. It feels like it's more November-ish. Yeah. Yeah, it does. It does. So um, it's just, we're just bringing you all the, the, the bright-eyed kind of storylines this morning. I have a theory, though, mm-hmm. that because we've had a shit June, we're going to have a great October and November and we'll all forget about it. The, the bad 
summer that we're having and we're going to have a great winter. Okay, well, I, I hope your theory proves to be correct. I mean, there's... Uh, we've we've had we've had good Octobers, Novembers recently, haven't we? We have, yeah. They've yeah. been sensational. Everybody kind of forgets about it. Are they like, ha ha ha? Global warming's not going to be too bad for Ireland. Then it's like, actually, you know, it's really going to we're going to end up underwater. So maybe we should, you know, quit with the laughing. Or maybe it's just or even kind of, worse, move to the Midlands. I mean, no one's going to do that. No, uh, people are leaving us. Uh, Fergus Kyo says, "Jesus, your first world problems." Indeed, yeah, indeed, it is. It is. I mean, Fergus, if you missed it, like. Uh, newsflash we do live in the first world we we talk about sport for two and a half hours every morning I mean is that not a general first world thing that like you know we have, we have the privilege to do so and we should get on with it I'm being told to get on with it uh, James Horn resigned late last night he did um, I mean I kind of think we predicted this on the show yesterday in a way some people were like no I think he's going to be okay I didn't I kind of felt like that was the end of the road that it felt like it was the end of the road and was it Anthony Moyes that he looked tired in the sideline yesterday uh, like We've done a bit of work with James Horn in the past and I've always found him to be a brilliant fella and like a deep thinker of the game. And I think people forget where Mayo football was before James Horn took over. Like they were they were cannon fodder in the qualifiers for mediocre teams. They were they'd they'd reached rock bottom and he came in and completely professionalized it and ended almost all of the carnival that surrounded and the circus that surrounded Mayo football. But even he couldn't hold back. The, or stem the tide of the, the carnival that follows Mayo football so I wish I wish whoever comes next very well and I hope they give it to Andy Moran and that they get the dream team of Moran and Solon in because Solon was very close to getting it the last time and they're working together at the moment with Leitrim and like you know fair play to Leitrim etc but this is the moment it, well, it does feel like it and like the issue you might just have is like, are, are Mayo going to give it to somebody who's done one year of intercounty management? Like, it seems that it's a perfect time to take that sort of a gamble because it's a weighted gamble. You know that it's somebody who's hugely respected in that dressing room, who's played at an extremely high level, and um, his first year at Leitrim has been really impressive. So it would make sense from from Mayo's perspective. It just feels out of kilter with an intercounty management appointment, sort of. If it, to go that way, you kind of feel that he has to do like another couple of years before he can get appointed to, to the Mayo role but like I mean why not why not now um, I think with regards to Horn I think the second stint was really interesting I, I thought he kind of came back almost as not as a new man but it's, uh, certainly he kind of came at the quelling the expectation and the, the circus around Mayo in a different way I definitely felt that there was kind of more of a high performance aspect to his uh, second stint as, as Mayo manager just in terms of what he had done in terms of going into other sporting organisations trying to be a bit of a sponge to, to to learn from uh, other teams and what they tried to do and trying to bring that to, to, the, to the pitch for Mayo and last year is when it felt that the, it, it re- reached that point where they might almost get over the line and I think maybe as time goes by 2021 could actually be the one that stings the most for, for Mayo people just given how well they were set up and, and what a job they did and potentially the, the Tyrone team that they had in that final uh, of course the non-horn years of, of 16 and 17 might, might sting a little bit more but 2021 was a hell of a chance and they came so close it was, it was, and you think of the missed penalty now, and, and everything kind of becomes more uh, codified. Like that was that was the hinge point of an entire era, really. Because I, I don't know, I, I actually still think that that's our own team. are going to come back next year and remind us all that they're a very, very good team. That they like, they have forwards, they have defenders, they have midfielders. Like they, they're actually the a complete team. Keepers in the country. They which, are. They're yeah. a complete team. They just had a down season. They obviously like couldn't get back to the emotional pitch that's required having climbed a mountain. Now, here's the thing. Maybe some generations of players are going to be different and they're going to do that once and they're going to be like, 
I have that done. I ain't doing that again. Like, um, you know, uh, listening to Paul Mannion recently talking with Joe, it does not sound like he's coming back. And it sounds like the, the drain and the, the bubble that you need to live in was so intense that actually it's not sustainable. And so maybe it's not sustainable for that Toronto, that group. I don't know, but I suspect that they will come back. And I think that what they're seeing with Derry is going to um, inspire them to come back. And even what they saw with Armagh, like it's right there. It's right there for Toronto to win another All-Ireland at the moment. Like Dublin are not that far ahead. Kerry are not that far ahead. And they had Kerry's number in an epic game. So um, I, maybe that retrospectively will ease a bit of the pain that Mayo are feeling. But... I see various people saying oh, the era is not over, but it is. It, it, it's absolutely. It's a new era now. Like that, that, that new team that comes through has to be led by players who aren't stalwarts. If they're yeah. going to get over the line, it's not going to be them being dragged over the line by Killian O'Connor and even like is Jeremy O'Connor going to be a, a, an All Ireland winning line dragger? He's not. He's going to be part of a cast of players who does it. Yeah, it felt that that new generation kind of came through last year and Horan, when he took over in 2019, was looking after a team that was very different to the team that beat Dublin last year, for example. So I think that the new generation has been brought through and I think we're seeing the early signs of it. It's just about who are the leaders and and at what point does it become their team as opposed to the contributing factors in Aidan O'Shea's and Killeen O'Connor's team. And that's Obviously, the other question that gets asked after a result like Sunday, it's not just about James Horan, and we've got the, the answer to that question. It's also around the likes of, of O'Connor and O'Shea and, and do they hang around? But it feels like those questions have been asked for, for years and like you, you, you probably suggest that those players do hang around for a new coach, don't they? Like, I mean, that, that, you've got the, the change now. Something needed to, to give you the thought after the performance on Sunday and you've got a managerial change so it's just going to be really interesting to see what, what they do with, with, with some of those players who are hanging around because Killeen's not had a good season but he's been injured in fairness he's, he's struggled with an injury I'd say and, uh, and Aidan O'Shea's been hit and miss in some of the, the big games so what do you do what, like when, you, when you're trying to channel two of your the, the, the biggest reputations in that dressing room how do you utilise them I think that those are the, the biggest questions that, that they need to, to, to come up with answers for next season with regards to other people of, this, of a similar age like you're looking at someone like Lee Keegan who is absolutely magnificent again at the back like there's there's a lot of good things to work with there it's a great job to get uh, if you can handle the the mad circus bit as you mentioned the mad circus bit is like off the charts it is so mm. you you are very close to the Kerry rumour mill and you understand how mad that that rumour mill is last week was crazy last week was the craziest rumour week of all time but Mayo's on how a different level how much ended up being true a lot of it a lot of it um, yeah a lot of it ended up being true it got to the point where uh, that David Clifford had monkeypox. <laughs> uh, isn't it Joe Kennedy who had the thing about um, when the shoeshine boy is giving you stock tips? Then's the time to sell. So he 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 survived the Great uh, Wall Street crash of the twenties. My history here is uh, pretty limited. Yeah. And um, that was that was the, that was how it happened. Like he's like kind of shoeshined. And your man's like, oh, you should buy the stock. And he's like, oh, I'll get the hell out of here. Right. Yeah. Um, it was like that with the Kerry rumors when your dad was giving you information. And uh, yeah, and I, I mean, he was, like, it was the first time in your in recorded yeah. life that you're getting a WhatsApp from your dad, and, like inside information. Inside information, I, I have, and it was correct. I have a good, I have a good information that David Clifford is good to go. And fairness, the, the the Clifford stuff was was um, was wild. But then there was also kind of like st- stuff around, you know, uh, Kerry's midfield being threadbare, Jack Barry not playing was information that we got early in the week, and a lot of it ended up being true. Um, 
and that's the wildness in Kerry in Mayo it's yeah. times a million that yeah. because like at least in Kerry there's lads with all our medals rattling around the place they have some kind of sense of well, we, we'll, this will all this will turn you know the world will turn we know exactly what's going to happen in Mayo they don't have that sense there's just the wildness and it's like into the infinite void of the curse like uh, people talk about the curse now as a real thing we started joking about it but now you're kind of like what, what is the curse is the curse the inability to kick the ball straight from 13 metres yes. and kick it over the bar like it, they're, it's, it's the forwards are cursed it's not that like a priest cursed them it's just that like they can't kick points and that's devastating to a team mm. and it's devastating to a culture when it's part of you and you're like the, well, how do you fix that I don't know how you fix that it wasn't much of a travelling circus this year I felt like uh, I know that the game came after an all time classic on Sunday but it did feel like that there wasn't even a sense of expectation in the ground that goes for both sets of fans like I mean Kerry fans didn't travel very well but you didn't have that circus around the Mayo team on Sunday like even Malachy Clerken wrote a good piece on Saturday morning I think it was just about how they're kind of at the end of their tether now this, this Mayo set of supporters which which was a piece basically that which was calling that Mayo were going to get beaten on, on Sunday and I was like interesting because I wasn't 100% sure that they were going to lose but he was spot on in the end and it kind of did feel like that it was kind of like well this is this you were a bit close to it but like it it finished out it was a paddling they took a yeah, paddling and it, it was always a paddling from the bit where they never had the belief that they could win like mm. McLaughlin's miss is like again kind of this totemic moment where that's it boiled down the chance is right there it's your moment you can do it and then you don't do it and you get blown out because yeah. you can't do it. Um, Johnny Moylan says, Horn seems like a good guy, but he's getting too much credit generally. This was his third chance. He should have been gone after last year's debacle against Tyrone. Where they lost the All-Ireland final. I mean, is it a, a debacle to lose in an All-Ireland final having beaten the sixth time in a row All-Ireland champions to get there after an epic game? I don't think, I don't think that's fair. It's also not his third chance, it's his second chance. And um, I think I think he was entitled to come back. He did really well with the team when he came back, got to two All-Ireland finals. But uh, that's it. Shane says, ah, lads, it's too early for Andy Moran. Zero experience and is too close to some of the players. So stop the Moran hype train before it leaves the station. Rommel says, Moran has no experience. If it's an internal appointment, Rochford is the guy and doesn't have a juggernaut to face this time around. Um, I'd say maybe Rochford is a candidate he, and he certainly if he wants it he should be entitled to go for it because uh, he did a, an excellent job um, the no experience thing is like nonsense he has just done a full year of inter-county management he knows what it means to manage a team in inter-county football it is what more can you do like do you want 10 years inter-county management experience it doesn't matter like we've seen in loads of sports particularly in GAA that uh, this isn't a full-time gig as in you don't have to go through and do your coaching badges. There is no UEFA pro licence here. Like, if you understand how the county game is going and you understand what the resources are and you can make sure that you have enough money to pay the backroom staff that you need, then you can win All-Irelands early in your managerial career. Yeah, like, I mean, I, I know it's not comparing like with like because they went through the underage system, but even the Tyrone managerial team, like, just do her getting over the line last year maybe is, is an example that, that it can be done pretty early. Um, again, I know that uh, Andy Moran's only done one year of, of management. It, also, the situation is that if you're waiting for someone like Andy Moran to be ready, you might start judging him on Leitrim's results. And just given the size of the county and the, 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 like the, their expectations like they could lose every game in, in a championship season he could do an amazing job and yeah he, he could have done a great job you just don't know so that's actually that's a really tricky one like how, how like the Mayo County Board need to go on some sort of fact finding mission to find out like how good this, this guy is because like I mean the credentials and um, 
as a, as a Mayo man and as a Mayo legend are not to be questioned and within the dressing room he'd be hugely respected but actually going and finding out what sort of job has he done so far at Leitrim is is, is a difficult enough task but like the, the Mayo County Board now basically need to just do their homework and, and ensure that that fact-finding mission does happen like so yeah. the Mayo people uh, the, their uh, future happiness is in the hands of the, of the county board ensuring that they, they do make sure that it's a, it's a thorough search to find Horan's successor Philip Nolan says Mayo need a complete reset <sighs> Two minds about that. Like they've, as you say, it's a good job. You know, there's still there's still plenty of talent around. It's whether or not they're able to make the commitment again and go on the road again to try and win this thing that they have given their entire life to try and win. So, and Dave Cos says Christ Himself could take the Mayo job, and their forwards would still kick wides. <laughs> Maybe they'd be hitting the crossbar. Seven forty six OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Here's what's coming up between now and ten o'clock. Sue Rowland's going to join us in a few moments. Matt Williams and Gregor Paul are going to preview Ireland against New Zealand or the All Blacks, as Matt doesn't like them being called. Sports pages at eight thirty five. We've got Tommy Walsh at eight forty five to preview the All Ireland hurling semi-finals, which are upon us. Uh, if you missed it, on Cadigan's going to join us at ten past nine and uh, Monday Night Rugby at half past nine this morning um, what was your take on how the coverage has now basically all distilled into the um, the gouge and that's it there's nothing else to talk about at the weekend uh, like I mean in, in what sense like I mean uh, it's on the back well, it was, pages it was front of every paper was the gouge and so therefore uh, all the old presidents came out and were like oh this is bad we need to fix this and um uh, Brody's Brody's in the on the podcast this morning saying that Arma have a cultural problem that um, that they're actually they are trying to injure players yeah and it, whether or not it's being um, it's certainly being tolerated was the line that he used well like I, I definitely like we kind of made the point in the show yesterday that there was like a complete shift in the mood of the game in the second half where Arma were trying to twist the knife a little bit on Galway on a on a psychological level certainly certainly when it came to what looked like a bit of sledging going on on the pitch and that sort of hard edge that we've seen from not just our math from, but from a number of teams over the last couple of years I think it's absolutely fair game to point out that there have been a number of brawls so far this year and Armagh have been involved in a lot of them like I mean that is, that is a, that is a fact and um, I, I think that it's reasonable yeah. to bring up to bring up that question yeah to um, lose one parent is unfortunate to lose two is being to look like um, what's the line I'm just I, I have no idea but I'm I'm just waiting for the moment now that uh, somebody suggests that we need to bring in the army for the next Armagh match just to, to stop the, the, the eye gouging or whatever might happen next time they're allowed onto a pitch the obvious line is weird. the obvious line can't, I can't say it. which army <laughs> Uh, 7.48 this morning let's move on Republic of Ireland um, again brilliant last night against Georgia and uh, a record equaling away win which puts us in prime position to at least get out of this group and move on to the next qualifying stage when it comes to the World Cup in Australia I'm delighted to say Sue Ronan is with us Sue good morning to you how are you? Morning guys how's it going? What did did you make of the performance and the quality of it? You know, I thought it was a really, really good performance from start to finish. Um, when you think of it, the, the team are most of the team out of season at the moment. Uh, you're playing away in, in a country like Georgia. Um, I think they went about their job professionally, uh, started off the game really, really fast, got the early goal, which, of course, helps set us the nerves. But, you know, never eased off, never took the foot off the throttle at all, just kept going and going. I think apart from maybe 10, 15 minutes just before halftime, um, maybe when they did ease off a little bit, 
it was a fully professional performance and to win any game 9-0 no matter who you're playing and look we have to recognize the opposition you know we're weak enough but at the end of the day you can only play what's in front of you and to, to win any international match night 9-0 and away from home too it was just a fantastic performance and a great achievement and it really boosts our goal difference as well the ruthlessness is really important in a situation like this where it would be easy for that sloppy period to actually become the rest of the game and it peters out and you win 3-0 or 4-0 and it's like well there was a lot more there for us if we'd done it but actually that that didn't happen and you know a lot of credit has to go to the players for that but some of the credit has to go to the management for that too Sure. Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, like, I love the way the players are knocking the ball around now. You know, they're so, every one of them is so comfortable on the ball. They're, they're so comfortable, you know, when they're under pressure uh, on the ball. And OK, they weren't under an awful lot of pressure last night, but uh, the way they were knocking it around, they're moving the ball so quick. Their first touch is excellent. They're, they're on the front foot all the time. The body is open, you know. Obviously, they're, they're, they're all playing at a really high level now. So they're, they're used to playing fast. They're used to playing under pressure. Um, so it comes from there first, I guess. But of course, uh, you know, the management do get credit as well for encouraging that and encouraging it in games like when they, they play the same way when they're playing against Sweden, when they're playing against Finland, you know, always looking comfortable in possession. Um, yeah, so it's really, really pleasing on the eye, I have to say at the moment. They're, they're playing very, very well. Uh, let's talk about some of the specifics. Um, uh, Abby Larkin, 17, and afterwards, uh, Katie McCabe speaks very highly of her post-match. What do you know about Abby Larkin? How, how good can she be? What's her ceiling? You know, Abby, you, you don't want to put pressure on a, on a young kid, of course, on a young kid's shoulders, but Abby was around when, when I was uh, under 16 coach, actually there, going back probably about three or four years ago. She was with the schools team at the time, um, the under 15 schools team. I knew Abby a long time and her mom as well. She was... And she, she hopefully she'll forgive me for saying, but I saw it all over Twitter. She, she, she was one of our um, the faces around our big soccer sisters program back in the day. You know, as a young girl, and she always had a bit of a swagger about her. She always had a football in her hand. You know, no matter what we were doing, it was a press interview, whatever. She was going around juggling the ball, and you could see football was her life and, and her mom brought her everywhere um but she was on the schools team the under 15 schools team in 2019 i think um and she was a real talent she did excellent with for for richie berkeley's school team in the bob doherty competition and then i had called her up to the under 16 squad which was getting together in early 2020 um and she was in one camp and then of course we all know what happened after that so she would have missed a good bit of international football but you know, it, she was always sustained to, destined to go to the top. Um, I think she can be anything she wants to be. She reminds me of Olivia O'Toole, um, you know, and, and I don't want to put pressure on the young kids' shoulders, but I think she's a really excellent talent. She's a lovely kid. She comes from a lovely, lovely family. Um, she's playing at one of the top clubs here, and I think she can just get better and better all the time. How will she fit into this Ireland team, do you think? You know, I don't think she's far away. I think from what I hear, she's been doing really, really well. Of course, it's wise to to, to use her sparingly because she is quite young. Um, but she's just so comfortable on the ball. And she does think so naturally that, you know, you, you don't you, you don't teach kids. And she gets into little half spaces. She holds off players with her body well. I mean, they just seem to come naturally to her, you know. Um, I think she's going to be knocking on the door uh, over the coming year. And, and I think eventually she's going to make herself, uh, you know, a... Uh, an automatic choice in the squad but look let's not put too much pressure on her I guess um, having said all that she is a great talent and I definitely see she'd be in that team for a long time to come 
The, the uh, Olivier O'Toole uh, comparison is interesting. Is, is that just pure goal scoring instinct? Is that where the comparison that you're seeing? It's, I don't know. It's just something about it. Like, I, I obviously would have played with Olivia a long time in the national team myself. And Olivia was a real street footballer. She just had this natural ability to glide by players, to, you know, tr- drop the shoulder and, and create a bit of space for herself. And Abby just reminds me so much of Olivia and that type of thing, that type of style. And, and that's the way Abby grew up playing the game. Like she, as I said, she always had a ball in her hand. She played, she played anywhere she could before she was even in a structured uh, club environment. So she just reminds me of Olivia so much. And again, as I said, you don't want to put pressure on the kid, but I definitely think in years to come, we'd be looking at Abby, you know, as one of the regulars in the squad or in the team and, and looking at her to do something special, maybe to win a game for us. I, I think stuff like this is really important. I know you're saying don't get carried away and uh, that's good. But at the same time, if, any, if everybody wants to go and see somebody who we think could be a superstar of Irish football, she's playing in Talca Park week in, week out at the moment. Like there's an opportunity sure. here for everything to kind of just to mushroom really quickly. Maybe she ends up playing for Barcelona. Maybe she stays in sh- at Shells for the, the rest of her career. I don't know. But like, you know, if, if people are interested and they want to go and see something that is potentially special, it's cheap as chips to go and watch these games at the moment. Absolutely. And look, I mean, besides Abby, you have other great players that play with Shells and with the other teams around uh, around the country as well. I mean, if you look at Jess Stapleton, who didn't make the squad last night. I mean, Jess has been around a long time and likewise has come through that same pathway as Abby. Uh, from, played with boys, gone to school, played with the school's team, the underage squads. And she's a fantastic talent too. And and, and she's doing really well for, for Shelburne as well. And like they're both only young girls. They're both only 17 years of age. And they really have the world at their feet in terms of football. As long as they keep the feet on the ground, which I think they both will. They're both from great families. Um, they're being coached well at club level. They're being coached well at international level. You know, So for sure, as you say, it's as cheap as chips to go and watch the games here. And there really is some great talent around, apart from those girls uh, you know, across all the clubs. So just about to ask that about the, the standard of coaching that they're getting. So you think that for a 17 year old at the moment in the National League here, they're absolutely getting everything they need and and a, a move to a, a different league isn't required just yet? Um, well, 17 is probably a little bit young mm. to go professionally in my view. But look, I mean, everyone has their own view about it. I think while our league here is still an amateur league and it is an amateur league because many of those girls are in college, they're working. Um, I'm not sure how many times a week they train now, probably three times, maybe maybe four, including gym sessions. But, you know, if you look at the players that have gone abroad and have gone to the UK and how they've gone on to the next level. I mean, look at Katie McCabe and, and the level she's at now. I mean, she's she's fantastic. Like, she's one of the best players in, in, in England at the moment, you know, without a shadow of a doubt. Um, and she was a really good player here as well. But when she went professional, she even went up a step again. And there's others like her. Um, and the majority of the team last night, I think all apart from starting 11, apart from Jess Sue. And Jess, I know, was either gone or going to West Ham. Um, so they're all playing at that higher level where they're getting professional uh, where, where they're getting coaching day in, day out. But not only that, they're playing against the top players in the world. And, you know, while our league is improving here, the, the the quality of the league in England, it's actually the best league in the world at the moment. And that's where all the best players from uh, around the, the world are gravitating towards. Um, you just have to look at who's at the different clubs. You know, you have Sam Kerr, the top Australian player is at, at Chelsea. Um, you have Pernilla Harder, the, the, the best player in Denmark is at Chelsea. You know, and I could go on and on. So for sure to play professionally, that is the level they all need to be playing at. You know, do I am I saying should a 17 year old go? 
in my view, it might be a year or two too young because like they're still doing their college and that's important as well. Or sorry, doing their studies, their their leaving cert probably that's important. But you know, in the coming years, you know, you, if our league doesn't get to that status where we're, we can have a semi-professional league or professional league, for sure, I think the next step in those girls' career is to go and play professionally. Uh, go on, sorry. Can I just ask then, uh, uh, like when it comes to that that quality coaching, how important? the last two weeks would have been for some of those players especially those based in the National League in, in Ireland here just the fact that they went on a 10 day training camp to Turkey before this fixture against Georgia like I mean they'll say it was for acclimatisation and all that but I'd assume a Vera Pau training camp for 10 days isn't uh, isn't for the faint hearted and I'd say there would have been a good bit of development a good bit of quality training that would have gone into to, to a few of those players who might not be exposed to that level of coaching all the time yeah, well, I'm sure they are all exposed to a good level of coaching here. I know the coaches that are with the clubs. Um, the, the difference is they wouldn't have them together, you know, for, for that length of time, I suppose. But for sure, a 10-day camp in Turkey, I mean, that gives any coach the opportunity to work on every single as- aspect of play. So they went there to acclimatise. I, I think it seems the weather wasn't as hot in Georgia as maybe anticipated, but nevertheless, um, they did what what you know they felt was the right thing, and I'm sure it was the right thing to go to Turkey. It was also closer to Georgia, so I suppose in terms of travelling over for the game, that was that was an easier travel for them. But they would have been working on their patterns of play, not only for the game last night, but also at one eye in September. I have no doubt because that's the last time those players are going to be together until they come in four or five days um, before they play Finland at home. And at that point, they'll all be in season. They'll all be playing for their clubs. So that'll have to be managed when they come in. So they all arrive in on a Monday. They can't go you know, into full, full flat-out training. Some of them may have played on Sunday. Some might be carrying injuries, um, you know, that type of thing. So that, that has to be a periodization in their training that week leading up to the Finland game. So I have no doubt the 10 days they've just had in Turkey worked an awful lot with those two games in mind, worked on patterns of play. They, they would have worked at set on set play. Um, you know, they would have worked on different things because I, in the, the match against the Philippines last week, there was a, it wasn't the same starting 11 as last night. So Vera is still looking around to see what our best 11 is. And I heard her interview and she's picking players based on how they're getting on and training and, and what they're doing in each game. And, you know, those girls last night, every single one of them would have really staked a claim to start against Finland. It'd be very difficult for her now to leave any of those out. But hey, that's the job of a coach. Yeah. And like so much rides on qualification now at this stage, like we're we're getting ready to talk about the, the Euros, but there's kind of this desperate sense of uh, missing out that like the Euros right there and we're playing really good football and the game has never been, you know, uh, peaking more than it has and how amazing would it be to actually be at a major tournament with the games all on telly that will happen yeah. that will that's definitely going to happen at some point but the sooner yeah. that it happens the quicker the dam bursts no absolutely look I mean and I've seen it in other countries over the years when your women's national team qualify for major tur- major finals that really is the catalyst to to for the game to go that way you know to go up in, in, in that respective country and the girls have been knocking on the door for a long time. And, you know, it wasn't only the last the last campaign where they, they missed out to Ukraine. And I'm sure that's on every single one of their minds, you know, how they let that one got away. Because, you know, let's be honest, they did let it get away because we know they should have beat Ukraine. They had enough possession, they had enough chances to do that. And it just didn't happen, unfortunately. But I think... There's so many players in that squad now. If you look at the number of caps they have, there's so many of them. There's, there's one or two over the 100 mark, Nia Fahey, Anya O'Gorman. There's 
there's some of them very, very close to the 100 mark. Um, and even young players like Denise, I mean, Denise is what, 25, 26 years of age. Um, and, and look at the number of cam- caps she has. But they now have that experience. They've been through that heartache on, 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 for a few campaigns. They've been through the disappointment. They have built up that resilience now uh, within themselves. They, you know, they have that determination, that mental strength. And for sure, it will happen soon. Um, and, you know, I suppose they've missed out, as I say, a couple of times over the last uh, few campaigns. Uh, they're determined not to let it happen again. And it will happen soon. It is a shame we're not playing in the Euros in England. You know, it's so close. Um, you know, the girls are used to the ones that play in England, you know, would love to have played there as well, I'm sure. But look, I, I think it will happen sooner rather than later. Uh, how good was Megan Connolly last night? I thought she was super. I thought she was super and she got player of the match and rightly so. I thought Jess Sue pushed her very, very closely. I have to say again for a young girl coming in, she was excellent. Um, but Megan was really, really excellent. And Megan has always had a sweet right foot. You know, she she played underage. She was just coming into the squad, my squad, just before um, I finished with the team. She was sort of in and out. She was available. She wasn't available. She was in college in the States. So it wasn't always easy to get her free with, from exams or whatever. But, you know, you put her on a dead ball around the edge of the box and you'd be guaranteed it went to the top of the net. I've seen her do it with her under-19s. Um, set play corners as well. She can put it on a sixpence. But, you know, her some of her past and are switching a play the ball was going straight to a player's foot it was just sublime it was it was really it was lovely to watch it really was she was excellent it's like that that dead ball proficiency which may actually be as important as some of the silky football that we've seen when it gets to a situation like a game against Finland on the 1st of September and in the first game she she put one into the top corner didn't she against Finland and and it's those set pieces that might that might be crucial Oh, for sure. And, you know, when, look, we're scoring goals from everywhere now, which is great. It's not, back in the day, you know, Irish teams in general, I suppose, really, you know, you, you, you waited for that set play and that might have been your only opportunity of scoring a goal. But that's not the case with this team now. But having said that, when you're playing the really top teams, it very often might be the only um, outlet to, or opportunity to score a goal. But, and when you have somebody like Louise Quinn in your team, who will get on the end of every ball coming into, into the box, you know, she's so strong in the air. She's so determined she's so accurate and then you have Megan putting those balls in in for her and and also Katie then on the other side I mean it's it's really such an advantage for the team I'd say you know when we're playing any teams we're playing against they quake in their boots I'd say one of the instructions from the coaches don't give away any corners don't give away any free kicks around the edge of the box because we're coming we're becoming known now to to be very dangerous in those situations so we're a point ahead of Finland at this point. We're on 11. Finland are on 10 points before that September match. There is a different, it feels anyway, a different sense of pressure around this, obviously, because we're later into the campaign uh, come September. But also because Finland, to a degree, felt maybe got caught a little bit unawares about the development that Ireland had actually made and getting beaten by them the last game. Like they'll be coming back really kind of really hungry for a bit of revenge in, in September. Does, does that change how Ireland approached the game in September or, or maybe even your, your own confidence levels uh, about that performance that might be incoming? I don't think so. Um, you know, I mean, I, we're in the driving seat now. We're a point ahead. We really deserved our win away to Finland. You know, we've been an improving team for years. Um, again, in my last campaign, we played Finland. Finland was the second seed in our group. Um, I can't remember who the top seed were. It might have been Spain, but like that, we would have been aiming for that second place. 
And we lost narrowly at home um, 2-1 in Tala. And we really didn't play well that day. And the players knew it themselves. And many of the players are still in the squad. And we went away really determined to, um, you know, com- confident that we were going to beat them away. And that would have got us that second place. But on the day, it didn't happen. And things started to go wrong. And that mental resilience wasn't there, um, you know, and... It just didn't work out. But I think like we're we've been an improving team for years, as I say. Finland are still a second seed. I think we're we're a better team than Finland. I wouldn't fear them at all coming here. In actual fact, if you look at a draw against them, provided we beat Slovakia away, we'll do us. But you know, you don't approach the game that way, of course. But you know, I think Finland will fear us more than we'll fear them. So, I think the girls are relish now playing in Tala and against Finland. I was gonna say the the Tala thing, right? There there has been some talk or calls for us to try and start moving big games to the Aviva it feels like we're just a little bit early in the cycle for that personally like we've watched Croke Park all year be empty until it's full and then the atmosphere is amazing Tala when it's full the atmosphere is going to be absolutely amazing if you think back to the men's team against Luxembourg uh, when that tiny little stadium in Luxembourg which might have been eight, nine thousand capacity full of Luxembourg supporters it was a brilliant brilliant atmosphere Tala full could be an absolutely brilliant, brilliant atmosphere. And maybe we just need to turn that into our fortress first and then move yeah. the absolutely massive games to the Aviva as one-offs. Absolutely. And that's the point, you know, and people don't understand it, I guess, or maybe they're not thinking about it. If you think of Tala Stadium, what does it hold? 8,000 now, maybe a little bit more with all the development. We've been probably putting five, five and a half. I'm not sure we've got to six in it. So we haven't actually filled it out yet, even though I think one or two of the matches in the last year beforehand, it said they were it, it was sold out, but maybe everyone didn't turn up um but for sure you know if you put that eight thousand a full capacity from tala into the aviva stadium it's one corner of the pitch one corner of the stand the players won't get the benefit of that you know that that noise that surge from the fans that can carry you you know when things are not going well on the pitch you're maybe the head is going down you, you've done something wrong you know made a mistake the crowd will lift you through and there's such a bond now between this team and the crowd and even more so on the men's side uh, uh, and that's just the way it is in women's football the accessibility to, uh, from for players to the the fans and you see it after every match win lose or draw the players are over signing autographs and getting pictures taken and the fans live for that and they love that that wouldn't happen at the Aviva and you know I think for sure I agree fill out Tala get what we need to get from there use that that um, wave of emotion wave of, of support that we get in that close-knit stadium that will be full I'm sure for, for the Finland game um, feed off it Get to the final, get to the World Cup finals, and then after that, you can start looking at maybe bringing marquee friendly games or something one-off, you know, to the Aviv and see how that works out and, and build on it that way. Yeah, hundred percent, Sue. Great to have you with us. Thanks a million. Cheers. No problem. Take care. That's uh, former Ireland manager Sue Ronan talking to us about our nine-nil win over Georgia last night. It's eight minutes past eight this morning. If you want to get in touch, we'd love to hear from you. Oh eight seven nine one eighty one eighty is the WhatsApp number. You can use the hashtag OTBAM. Or, of course, you can tweet us at Off The Ball. Um, now, OTBM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Golf Weekly is heading to Colleen Castle on Tuesday, the 5th of July. Are you gone? Are you, are you passing off the clubs? I haven't been invited yet. Didn't get the invite. No. Have, you, the have you been invited? Uh, I, unfortunately, I'm not available for selection on the day. Okay. Uh, we have a brilliant day lined up with a Peter Laurie Clinic, live podcast recording, food, prizes, and, of course, a round of golf at the brilliant Colleen Castle. Uh, Golf Weekly Golf Days are exclusive events for friends of the pod so what are you waiting for? Sign up now at otbsports.com forward slash golf weekly. Up next
We're live with Matt Williams and Gregor Paul ahead of Ireland's first match with the Mary All Blacks tomorrow morning, kicking off at five past eight Irish time. First, here's Ruth Vahey alongside Stephen Doyle last night's off the ball, reacting to Ireland's emphatic victory away to Georgia. See you back after these. So the state of play is, you mentioned the Finland game. Sweden have played uh, one game more, admittedly, but they're well cleared. They're on 19 points, seven games played. So 19 points, Sweden, seven games played. Ireland and Finland have both played six games. Ireland, 11 points. Finland, 10 points. So with Finland coming to Dublin on the 1st of September, a draw for Ireland here. It is the penultimate game of the campaign. A draw for Ireland is enough to keep their noses ahead of uh, Finland, presuming they don't muck up the final game of the campaign. That is eminently, eminently doable. I mean, this will be, if they don't, I hate to say, you know, even in raise that proposition just now, but if they don't, this will be a very, very painful third place for Ireland. Yeah, I think it's okay to say that as well. You know, it is. I mean, if they don't, I mean, they, they've beaten Finland away already. They uh, deservedly so as well. And... I am I am confident that they can beat Finland at yeah. home in Dublin. Yes, and win it there. This team have traditionally had a wobble in them and like a result yeah. that everyone looks Ukraine. back at and go, Ukraine oh, campaign. The <laughs> Ukraine esque the, yeah. the penalties. Yeah. 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 Nice so yeah. this this is the next step for the team is to not have that wobble. Yeah. And the majority of these players would have featured in that game and you don't forget those games, you know, you don't forget those games and they've had to wait a long time to put that wrong right and I think now coming into this game with that form and the players that you've highlighted as well, um, like the beautiful thing is it's not just McCabe and O'Sullivan show anymore, there's, mm. there's other players who can stand up now. Well, Megan Connolly today was, Megan yeah. Connolly was superb and it wasn't just the, her passing was sharp, her crossing was, her deliveries were fantastic but she held that kind of central midfield role where she dictated the play, she was pulling all the strings. Yeah. Yeah. Little John was more of a defensive midfielder, but she didn't have too much defending to do today. But Megan Connolly, absolutely superb. She's a brilliant footballer. Um, and also we have to give Abby Larkin credit because she came off the bench to make her competitive debut, linked up with her Shelburne uh, club mate, and a brilliant header to get her first international goal. And not just that as well, Joe Root will probably talk more on it. She would have seen a lot more of Abby playing in, with Shelburne. But for a 17-year-old, she's so clever at picking up the right spots in the box. Like She's really, really good, which is crucial for a striker. Yeah. And Ruth, can I ask you, so uh, Stephen mentioned there's, like, the likes of Connolly and the other midfielders bossing the game a touch. It would seem Denise O'Sullivan is such an extraordinary player. She can be high up the pitch and playing like a quintessential number 10. But equally, I mean this genuinely, like N'Golo Kante-esque at nipping in and stealing balls yeah. and you look at her and you say well I'd like you in both spots but I suppose <laughs> if I you know Ireland's need you know scoring goals is generally a problem in men's and women's football if, if you have to have a point of emphasis for her it would be further at the pitch creating things and hurting teams further at the pitch and so if those fellow midfielders Stephen mentioned can right. get to grips I mean you can release Denise forward they do make good forward. box to box midfielders in Cork Joe don't they look she can get, she, she, can, she can get up and down all, like I know she can but yeah. it does release her a little bit which would be uh, very welcome I would put it to you. OTB AM this is OTB Sports Radio. The Football Pod on OTB Sports. Do you still listen to the Football Pod or is that like texting your ex? Absolutely. As I often said, I'm jealous that uh, O'Donoghue who's so good, the little whore, but he's... Uh, <laughs> uh, it's brilliant. I, li- I, listened to, I listened to the one yesterday. I Thank God for Tommy Rooney. I won't say that too often, but thank God for him. At least he stood up for me a bit. But the, the two boys were very big on Kerry yesterday. The Football Pod is available every Tuesday exclusively on the OTB Sports app. Things that put people off on a first date. Showing up late and getting your name wrong? Always a great start. 
looking at their phone more than you? Eh, uh, hello. Someone who only talks about themselves. Oh, really? God, aren't you great? Look, no one said dating is perfect, but at GoDating.ie, we promise we'll always try and find your perfect match. Because somewhere out there, there's someone for you. And GoDating.ie will help you find them. Yes, even you, socks and sandals guy. Go on, go for it with GoDating.ie. OTB AM With Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Right, it's 14 minutes past eight. You're very welcome back to OTBAM. It's time for us to turn to rugby. It is the first of three tests on Saturday morning. Obviously, Ireland are playing the uh, New Zealand Marys tomorrow morning. And I'm delighted to say Matt Williams and Gregor Paul are with us to help preview the game. Gregor, I might start with you. Um, a bit of a, a mini bombshell uh, broke overnight last night when it turned out that Joe Smith is actually going to be actively part of the coaching ticket for this week. Uh, this is some some might say Ireland's worst nightmare, where you know Joe, who was our beloved son, suddenly is plotting our downfall. Was this always was this always secretly part of New Zealand's master tactical plan to derail Ireland in this summer test? And COVID's just a flimsy excuse so they can shoehorn him to the coaching ticket. Uh, not not really, but I think it would be naive to believe that Joe hasn't been pretty heavily involved. Um, up until this point anyway. I know he officially wasn't going to start until um, after the Irish series was out of the way. But look, I think he's had a pretty healthy input uh, prior to um, being officially called in. COVID has enabled him to now come in you know, on an emergency ticket, if you like, and, and eased his conscience a wee bit because he felt a wee bit uncomfortable um, given his relationship with Ireland and his history there. He didn't you know, that, that's why he was actually delaying his arrival until after the series was out of the way. But he's now he's now here and he's a legitimate reason for being involved. And uh, look, I, I think Joe Schmidt's input would have been pretty heavy whether he was officially here or not. What was he doing up to this point and, and what will his role be after this uh, emergency situation is resolved? Uh, up, up until this point, he's been working with the Blues, uh, the Super Rugby team, the Blues, as a sort of, I'm not entirely sure what his official title there was, technical director. So whatever he felt like doing, I think that meant. Uh, I, look, I think he'll be with the team now for the duration of the series. And then when they go to South Africa, his official role is a selector slash analyst. But I think you could interpret that as selector slash assistant coach, probably. Okay, and is that also slash head coach in waiting, or does Scott Robertson have still you know kind of? Hang on a second, what what do I have to do here? <laughs> well, yeah, Scott Robertson probably does wonder that. Look, Joe, Joe's coached at the international level, hasn't it? He's done it very well. He's got a fantastic record with Ireland. Um, the question, I suppose, with Joe is: Is he ready mentally? lifestyle-wise, does he want to go back there? Because when he finished up with Ireland, you'll know this way better than I would, he, he was pretty drained. You know, it had a big mental toll on him. When he came back here, he didn't really have any desire to coach. He was quite happy down in Taupo, not part of proceedings, didn't want to didn't want to be involved. Uh, and, and he was asked, I mean, Ian Foster wanted him on his ticket when he took took the job in 2020, Joe, not for me, not for me. And then probably <laughs> beginning of last year, Foster started to really, you know, really push hard to persuade him to get involved. And Joe was reluctant and he's eventually got to the point where he's happy to say, I'm happy to come in as an analyst and, and as a selector. But I think 
anyone that knows Joe will imagine that once he's in, to to kind of only have one foot in there, I don't I don't see that being his long term future. I think he probably once he commits, he commits. Once he joins the All Blacks, I think he's a kind of character, and you you guys would know more than I would here. Whether he'd be happy long term being the assistant or in the background, it's a question of whether he's ready to put his hand up and and put himself in the front line. Because if 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 he felt the pressure coaching Ireland, uh, you're in the wrong job if you're not up to dealing with pressure. Because being coach of the All Blacks, you know that, that's a that's a lot more pressure than comes with coaching Ireland. I think. And, and those fans of the All Blacks, Gregor, like did, did they look at Joe Schmidt as? somebody who is a genius at a game and his, his record with Ireland and with Leinster is, is so good that he can only contribute positive things to the team or is there some question marks maybe around Ireland's style of play and maybe it doesn't necessarily match up with the swashbuckling All Blacks way? Well, I, I think what he's bringing is something that the All Blacks need a wee bit of at the moment. So, you know, that, that swashbuckling your word there, I like that, uh, style that the All Blacks have, that's probably always going to be inherently in the in the DNA of the players because it's how they want to play. It's the type of athletes that they are. Where everyone's become a wee bit concerned about the All Blacks and where Ireland and South Africa have exploited them and England did it at the, uh, the World Cup is around the kind of um, set-piece efficiency, the physicality that they bring over the breakdown. So, yeah, they've got all the skills in the world. And if you give them space and time, they'll they'll pull any team apart. But there's a question mark now about whether they've got the nuts and bolts, the kind of hardness, the age, the discipline to, to, to stick to quite a rigid, conservative game plan first to break teams t- down and then open them up. And that's the kind of stuff that, that South Africa are doing really well. Ireland do it really well as well. So New Zealand need a wee bit of that. And Joe brings it. You know, he's got that kind of ability to, to stick to a very disciplined, simple game plan. Um, so, look, I think everyone's going to welcome that. And secondly, what he also has is pretty good knowledge of how the Northern Hemisphere sides think. And again, that's proving to be a wee bit of an Achilles heel for New Zealand at the moment. If we, if we bracket South Africa as a Northern Hemisphere side, which they almost are, then, you know, that, that, uh, South Africa, Ireland, France and England are the last four teams to have beaten the All Blacks. And there's a wee bit of a pattern developing there. So they need to understand a wee bit about the threat that's coming at them. And, and, and Joe gives them that. Matt Williams, what was your immediate response or, or take when you saw that Joe Schmidt is now part of this coaching ticket and, and you know, listening to, um, to Gregor there talking about this? you know, you get the sense that there's a, a certain element of it being a drug coaching at that level and, you know, you, you you can wean yourself off it, but when you're back on it, you're going to be back on it, uh, you know, pretty hardcore. And the New Zealand job is literally the best and most interesting job in world rugby. Particularly a lot there, a lot there, uh, um, The New Zealand job is the most prestigious job in world rugby, but Greg has hit the nail right on the head, it is the biggest pressure in the world as well. It's a very tough job. Look, I know Joe was really, really frazzled at the end of his time in Ireland, as any uh, human being would be. Why don't, uh, with the exception of Eddie Jones, and let's put him off as an exception, uh, mentally he's an exceptional person. He is, we use the term workaholic. Eddie is a workaholic, so let's put him to one side. When you're coaching at the top end, it smashes you um, emotionally. And you've got to learn to cope with that. And obviously, Joe has. It's whether you, but you, 
you, you decide you don't want that pressure anymore. That doesn't mean you don't love the game or you don't want to coach. Let, let, let's let's look at Wayne Smith, the great Wayne Smith. Now, Wayne started coaching back with me in 90... I started in 97. Wayne came into, um, into coaching in, in 98. Now... Wayne has been head coach of a lot of places. He still loves the game and wants to be involved, but he doesn't want to be a head coach anymore because that brings with it a whole lot of extra stresses that your assistant coach does not have. And in many ways, being an assistant is the best gig in the world because what do you do? You just do all the things you love, which is the players, the game, the tactics. You don't have to worry too much about the media. You don't have to worry about selections usually. You don't have to worry too much about, about what committees are saying and all that. That's the boss's job. So, so I think that Joe may very well, well, he is coming back into this role, and I think he may be very well happy to be second spear on the left where he doesn't have to worry and carry all that extra baggage. Greg is absolutely spot on. As soon as I heard Joe, this talk of Joe, I just thought, oh, the media are going to be all over this. Joe's obviously been involved for a long, long time in the preparation for this series. The series, that, you know, like in professional rugby, the coaches don't get together on Monday morning and say, oh, boys, we've got a game on Saturday. What, what are we doing? You know, we're going to do this now? Like, they've been preparing for months and months for this uh, for this series because what's the information they've got on Ireland? They've only got the Six Nations. So they've gone back and they've based a lot of their analysis on what Ireland did during the Six Nations. They've obviously then, they, they say, uh, and we know COVID's there, they war game, we'll use that term war game, in other words, what if scenarios, what if Ireland lose Henderson, what they've done today, who are they going to put in? What if Sexton doesn't play, who are they going to put in? And they would have their plans prepared for all the Irish what ifs. Just as today, with Ian Foster and Johnny Plumtree down with COVID, they've war game that. They've, you know, this whole group have been in Australia last year in a bubble through COVID and they're saying, well, what, if, what happens if one of us gets it? What happens if two of us get it? What happens if the whole staff's out? What happens if our captain's out? They war game and they practice. Now, I can tell you, Foster and Johnny Plumtree are at home. They're away from the team. But they're obviously Skyping in each day. They'll be getting the video of training every day. That's Training at every professional rugby club is, is recorded and analysed and sent to them. And they'll be giving feedback to Mo, who I, I've read it is... Gregor would know more than me. I'm only reading, reading what he's writing and other journalists from New Zealand are writing is the head coach. And Joe will be an incredibly important part of that preparation as a support. But to think that Joe turned up Monday morning and is going to change everything and every tactic that they practice is going to be all altered, I mean, that, that is just, it's just madness. It's not the truth. The truth is he is part of a system now. He will enjoy it. But that system will have rolled on no matter if Ian Foster's there or not. And the talk is that Foster and Plumtree may, may be at the game. Uh, again, Gregor know more about that than me. Yeah, I, I think, like, I, I buy everything both of you are saying here. I think, Gregor, it's, it's particularly interesting. Like, the, the knock on Schmidt's time in Ireland from some quarters was that we had become a little bit predictable because we were so focused on the set piece and so focused on the structure. Uh, and the point you make too about the New Zealand the swashbuckling is going to be an ape because of the skill level of the players it does for us the, the terror is that actually he adds that structure that skill set that skill set is there innately in the players and suddenly a new a new beast is unleashed on world rugby where they can do everything really well at a pace that nobody can live with yeah well that, that that's clearly the plan um, and that, that's what they're aiming for. They're aiming for exactly that. The, 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 
you look at that back line and it's it's pretty impressive, isn't it? Aaron Smith, Bowden Barrett, you know, when they're all fit. Um, Rico Iwani, Caleb Clark, Will Jordan, who has been virtually untouchable in Super Rugby. So you're thinking, shit, you don't want these guys, if you're playing them, to be playing with space, with time. You don't want them to play off counter-attack if you're trying to defend them because they're instinctive, they're so quick, they're all so skilled. They're, they're going to rip a few teams apart. We all know that. They have done previously and they will do again. But where they've been a wee bit weak and when they've hit... You know, South Africa are brilliant at putting a brick wall up, aren't they? They they give nothing away. They 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 box kick, they turn you around, they scrummage you for penalties, they slow the game right down, and they and they frustrated New Zealand to the point where they've got on the front foot so hard that New Zealand haven't been able to throw anything at them in the last couple of times they've played. And Ireland have been reasonably similar in how they've shut them out of the game. So you know that's that's the turnaround point. New Zealand, if they, and look, they're destined here. If we look at the World Cup, unless uh, unless my boys in Scotland can play the role of disruptor, then we're looking at a World Cup where New Zealand play one of either New, uh, South Africa or Ireland at the quarterfinal of the World Cup. And that's not so much at the back of the mind at the moment. That's actually at the forefront of the mind for for these guys because if New Zealand can't um, prove in the next five Test matches. That they've got a game plan that can that can flourish against these two teams, then I think we're going to be on the well. I wouldn't say definitely, but we're moving towards a track where there will have to be a serious consideration given to coaching regime change at that point. Because New Zealand can't go to World Cup with you know if Ireland win this series, even if Ireland win one Test and do so in a manner that shuts New Zealand down, where, where Barrett's just a shadow, not able to get into the game, and they can't get anything going, as has been the way in the past, that will probably be enough for, for everyone in New Zealand to say, well, that's too big a risk to send this coaching group to the World Cup next year, because if Ireland do that in a quarterfinal, you know, we're out, and we know that now, so we're going to have to change that up. So that's kind of what we're looking at here. So not only are Ireland going on one of the toughest summer tours you can do as as a test side, they're also going to a country that is going through a bit of a, an identity, not an identity crisis, but are trying to find their identity, are, have a coaching ticket that need to prove themselves, a group of players that need to prove themselves, and are just hoping to crush anybody who uh, tries to get out of the arse's roar of them. I think you've nailed that beautifully. That's exactly what's going to have to happen here. And look, it's not just about the coaching team. There's a few there's a few players that need to prove that they're still able to do that because we haven't seen the best of for various reasons injuries been in Japan but Brody Retallick hasn't been Brody Retallick as you as we all know him um for quite a while now so he's up against a very good uh a group of Irish locks I think you could pick any of them and they'll be pretty challenging so you know we we need to see him get back to to fighting these guys to the point where he looks dominant Sam Whitelock look he had a brilliant super rugby final with his with his aerial work and he he is a great aerial forward but you know when the, when New Zealand went to the northern hemisphere last year the French and Irish locks were really dynamic around the field they had a change of pace when they hit the ball they were they were sneaking turnovers they were making tackles like they were loose forwards there was a they looked more athletic and more dynamic than sam so there's a question mark there can he can he come up to the level of you know a james ryan or an ian henderson or whoever is going to be playing for ireland and ditto the front row because that's where ireland really had them and france had them the following week front rows are getting off the deck quickly 
passing and catching, hitting things hard. New Zealand looked very uh, undynamic in that area. Props that could scrum, but not much else. So these these are the questions that, that we have. It's not just about the coaching team. There's a handful of players that, that need to prove that they can that they can not only play at this level still, but that they can get better between now and the World Cup. It's very high stakes, Matt. Um, from Ireland's perspective, what do you think is a break-even or a good tour or something that we can um, take positives from? Do we need to win at least one game here or is there a world in which you can actually lose all the games, play really well, uncover some new talent and some new patterns of play and think, okay, that's grand, we've learned a lot from this. Is it is it just about results at this stage for this Ireland setup, and that includes the players and the coaching ticket? Always about results. Never anything else, mate. It's, don't go about it, but it's just, just one before we go to Ireland. you got to understand what Gregor says is 100% true. It's been like that for 100 years. Like if you go to New Zealand rugby, you lose two games in a row in New Zealand rugby, you're in crisis, the country's in crisis. They are ruthless with their coaches and with their players, and they have always ha- have been. You know, you go, you talk to the great Grant Fox, who Joe is taking over from. Talk about the ruthlessness and the pressure that was put on those players back in the 70s and 80s and 90s. That is what drives New Zealand rugby. It is the most ruthless place on the planet to be a rugby player or a rugby coach. You, you have a bad month and you are in serious trouble and you are ripped apart. And that comes back to what Greg is saying about pressure on Joe. Do you really want that? Does that come back to Ireland? Ireland is a very different rugby environment to what New Zealand is, as is most places around the world. Ireland are going to the hardest place on the planet to play a team who are desperate to prove themselves. You've just heard what Gregor said. And they, they had a COVID year last year. And we've got to, let's be fair, the New Zealanders and the, and the Argentinians were in a bubble for months. Now, that biosecurity bubble we know uh, from Rugby League in Australia had massive um, uh, mental health issues with the players. You, you're not in a bubble. You, you're, you're in a, you're sensory deprivated. You're away from your family. You can't go out. You can't go to socialise in the community. You can't go to the beach. You can't do anything. You've got to stay in your hotel and you're in. And that's what they had to do. By the end of the November season, New Zealand were fried. So they're a very, very different opponent. The, the tour, the way it's structured, I, I said, when I first heard of the, the structure of the tour last year, I said, one test is a great tour for New Zealand. One test win is a great, a great uh, tour. They, they've beaten England in Twickenham. They went toe-to-toe with the best team in the world at the moment, which is France, in my opinion, and they lost, but they went toe-to-toe because... This team radically changed from Joe Schmidt's game plan last November. And not being disrespectful to Joe, that's just a fact. We all saw it. They're playing a more New Zealand type of game. They are running the ball and they've been highly efficient. They've taken a a mirror image of what Leinster do and they've put it into the national side to get a national philosophy from bottom to top, just like New Zealand do. It's brilliant. You go to New Zealand, you win any test, that is a great tour. That's a great tour. Australia, Australia haven't done it for many, many, many years and we play them three times a year. Now, what will look good there? Any win will look good. The midweekers are still going to be hard. Now, the, the Maori have picked young guys, but they are highly talented young men playing for their future, trying to get a toe into the national team. And that national team is desperate. The first test is where New Zealand are, of a series is where New Zealand are always vulnerable, not weak, but vulnerable. And what did the New Zealanders do? They put it at Eden Park. <laughs> well, they haven't lost a game in 44 games since uh, France put them in 1994. So the New Zealanders know they want they want a clean slate. So it is possible for Ireland. It, the, the, the odds are saying Ireland won't win a game. That's the odds. 
That's and that's history. So if Ireland can win something, that's a great test. If you can go toe to toe with New Zealand and lose, that's still a positive. What you don't want is what New Zealand are capable of. Is you stick with them for an hour, and the last twenty they run in four tries, so it's fifty to fifty to fifteen or something. That's not a good tool. So there's a whole lot of ways Ireland have got to look at this. But the the the, the money, if you've got any money, you put it on New Zealand. And anything that comes out beyond that for Ireland, I think, is a plus. Okay, so you don't actually think we're going to win a, a, a test over the three? I think Ireland are, this is a very good Irish side. They're very well coached. They're capable of winning a test. Absolutely, they are capable of winning a test. I'm not suggesting that at all. I, 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 don't, I think this Irish team can win. And I think that the odds were the first test was their best bet. The fact that they've been moved to Eden Park has moved it. They can win, but the odds are saying they won't. But I, I certainly believe they can. And look, it might it might change. They might get a better shot at the second test. You know, Dunedin or, or Wellington might be a better shot for them than uh, than Eden Park has been has been for everyone else since 1993. But we've we've got to say that this this isn't an Irish side that's going there with no form or no chance. They're psychologically shot. That's not the case. This is a very good Irish side. They've had a lot of success against New Zealand in recent years. and this. But this challenge that they are facing is different. It's not Chicago. It's not, it's not November in Dublin. This is New Zealand when New Zealand are angry and primed. And that is a very, very different uh, animal you're taking on. It's funny, Gregor, listening to Matt. Like, I, I think that's generally how most Irish rugby fans feel. If we were to get one win from this, we'd be absolutely thrilled. Whereas what you're talking about is the, the, the state of crisis that has enfolded the management team and uh, and so the stakes are so high for that group. Like New Zealand are 12-point favourites with the Irish bookmakers. I don't know what the, the prices are. They must be fairly similar um, uh, down under as well. And that's kind of our expectation is that New Zealand are nearly two tries better than Ireland in Eden Park on Saturday morning our time when the game kicks off. Is the expectation still from you and your colleagues that New Zealand, notwithstanding all the trouble, they will still win these games? I don't know if they will. Yeah, look, probably I would go into the, this series exactly what Matt just said there. Like to, it takes a phenomenal, and Ireland know this, you know, because they had so many times at getting close to beating Ireland before they actually did it. Like you, they're, they're a cockroach of a team. They're really difficult to put away anywhere in the world, wherever you encounter them, even if they're at the end of a 15-week isolated um, ISO bubble tour in Dublin in November. I mean, you've got to remember, even though it looked like Ireland won that game quite easily back in November, you know, one forward pass between the Ioanni brothers and they would have scored and they would have been the least deserving winners ever. But they probably would have won that game if that pass hadn't been called forward. And and that's who they are. They've got this ability to survive um, and they're, they're angry, they're desperate, they're playing at a ground they haven't lost at for, you know, 100 years or whatever ridiculous number it is. So, so to beat New Zealand, you, you you have to play 84, 85 minutes of your best game ever. You know, it's got to be the the best that Ireland have got. They've got to get to that level and sustain it from minute one to minute whenever the referee finally blows the whistle. And that's a huge ask. You know, it, it takes a lot of things to go right for them because you're playing a team that even if they're off, off where they need to be, as we saw in Dublin, you know, one bit of Will George magic, he scores a try. One bit of Rico Ioani magic, they nearly score another try. And that's who they are. 
So look, there's always the sense with the All Blacks that they, that they that they go into a game, even no matter what history tells you, recent history, no matter what their form might look like, no matter what the crisis might be at the moment with the management team, when they name the 15 or the 23 guys that they're going to put on the park this Saturday, everybody will be looking, going, "Wow, wow." You know all the all the anxiety, but you're still listing guys: Bowden Barrett in the form of his life, Aaron Smith still a world class number nine, Yuani playing better than he ever has in the midfield. They, they'll probably have um, I don't know whether it's going to be Fanganuku or Caleb Clark on the left wing, but there'll be someone causing a bit of havoc out there for them. So when you're Ireland, you're looking at that, going, you know, this is a team in crisis. And look, look at the 23 guys that they got yeah. on that bit of paper. Yeah. Uh, and, um, you know, you've got to be realistic about what it takes. As Matt says, to even to live with them for 60 minutes is a good, good, you know, it's a good thing to be able to do. But, you know, they'll, they'll go up another gear on Saturday in the final 20. And, and there's a big ask of Ireland. Can you find another gear and live with them? And, you know, you might be 15, 12 after 60 minutes. Uh, New Zealand have got a habit of turning 15-12 into 39-12, 43-12. And, and it looks pretty bad at the end for Ireland, what, what might happen here. So, it, look, Ireland are good enough to win a game, but everything has to align for them to do that. And all the kind of emotional anger and frustration that's in the New Zealand system at the moment, you suspect that they're pretty good at finding a way to to make that quite powerful for them. Um, and, and quite a big energy that they're going to take into the game. And look, I, I'm not, I, I'd be surprised if it doesn't end up 3 0 to New Zealand in the end. Yeah, I think we all would be too happily surprised on, on our side. Uh, some breaking news from Keen Tracy of the Irish Independent tweeted 12 minutes ago to say that Ian Henderson has damaged his knee with some significant uh, damage and has been, um, he's flying home. So he, he got injured in training. And for now, Andy Farrell is not going to call up a replacement which means that it looks like Ty Byrne is going to start alongside James Ryan it'll be Byrne's first start since the Six Nations Matt that's that's devastating because we don't have huge strength and depth in the second row at international quality and uh, the fact that Byrne has not played since the Six Nations he would have been a perfect sub to bring on for the last 15-20 minutes when things were in the melting pot and uh, now he's got to start the game so you're just going down the depth chart a little bit and the depth chart is not particularly deep in the second row No it's not no. you've got to feel for Henderson he's had a wretched 10 months of injuries and I certainly hope it's not a interior cruciate and he's out for nine months but it doesn't sound good if he's been they're saying it's significant and he's been sent home that doesn't sound good Look, the plus of of bringing Byrne in is he is another back rower. Um, he is very good in the lineout, so you've got a, you're obviously a lineout option there. But he is also exceptional around the field at the breakdown. He's he's one of the best, if not the best, um, uh, jackler in Irish rugby. And if you are going to beat New Zealand, you have to disrupt them at the at the breakdown. When Australia play well against New Zealand, uh, you know th- their back rowers, Michael Hooper and so on, are disrupting them. They are slowing and they are stealing. So there is a plus in uh, in Burn coming in. The question is, you're going to go from not playing from the Six Nations to a pace of a game that will be absolutely electric. Like if you watch the final of Super Rugby last week, even though it was it was wet, like it was just at a pace that was unbelievable. And that is what 
New Zealand will try and do to Ireland, put a pace on a game at international level that will that they won't live with for 80 minutes. And that's the point. You might live with it for 60, but can you live with it 80? So I would suggest your burn has got possibly an hour in him and then they'll, they'll be going to do the bench. And it'll be very interesting to see who Ireland uh, put onto their bench as uh, as their uh, backup lock for uh, for that situation. Yeah, for sure. Matt Williams, Gregor Paul, great for your, uh, your time this morning. Thanks very much. Gregor, just one last question. Do you expect the New Zealand Maori team tomorrow to beat our team? Is that the general consensus in New Zealand or is that one kind of like almost a throwaway in, in some ways? That's, that, that's probably a bit of, a bit of an unknown. That's a youngish looking Maori team. A few players I'm not actually that familiar with. Um, look, it, it, as long as it's entertaining, I think everyone will be quite happy to go down and watch it, but I, I, I'm not sure how that will go. Yeah. Truthfully, could, could be um, could be either way. All right. Okay. Good stuff. Matt, Gregor, thanks a million for joining us this morning. Cheers. Pleasure. It's uh, 8.41. There's a comment in here. Sexton shouldn't start a single test. It doesn't matter how good he is, says Pascal Jacob. He won't play four games in six weeks of the World Cup. Better for Carby and Byrne to get the time against the best. I think regardless of what way you look at it now, especially after listening to that conversation, this is going to be an unbelievable challenge for Ireland. So what do you do? Do you just lean into the challenge and go all out and say, let's make this... Uh, our World the Cup most final chaotic possible uh, situation which is a situation without Johnny Sexton well so or or like does he not play he plays barely a minute in the World Cup like, comes off the bench for three games and then starts the World Cup quarter final I I don't know that's like that's a very very tricky one to like it, I, I, I don't know what you do there I think that you have to have your starting 10 who plays the big pool match against South Africa and plays um the quarterfinal. I'm sure, I'm sure he'll come through unscathed against the South Africans. They won't. They won't target him. There'll be no cheap, cheap shots there. I don't. I don't think you can have an out half that plays that is put aside for one game. That is destined to play one game. Right. You have to have your starting ten. Oh, you need a couple of starting tens. Maybe or, that's like, it. I mean, maybe Kieran Frawley is is the guy after tomorrow morning. Maybe. OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day at eight forty three. Let's look through the papers. There are so many idiots out there. So many spoofers. There's a lot of horse. I think he's a total spoofer. What do you mean a spoofer? He says bullshit. Ah, no, I'm a, come on, don't, don't be, no, I'm not, yes. no. Right, we can take a quick look through the sports pages for you this morning, and uh, the tabloids are all kind of going... Uh, on the GA and a couple of there's an exclusive in the song I'll get to in a second trial by video Croke Park brawl fallout continues the CCCC will meet today to pour over video evidence and some people are expecting loads of uh, suspensions to come for Galway on the back of that uh, end of the line for James is the sun but also it's a money old game Collins had to break the Irish transfer record the big fees so this is an, an exclusive by Neil O'Reardon who links Wolves Leicester Leeds Newcastle and Villa with Nathan Collins I would love it if uh, Nathan Collins signed for Villa that would be absolutely brilliant but um, Wolves are the front runners if Ruben Neves gets transferred GA must stop facilitating foul play uh, great great plugs for off the ball in this Kevin Stay talking a lot of it off the ball the, the, you know the stuff that's happening off the ball uh at the beginning of each season I open a, a Word document and fill it in every week with the rule anomalies that arise during league rounds or early championship. By late May I have a full column in the oven. A season summary of rules that were flouted, not enforced, incorrectly applied, not known about, not cared about and on it goes. This is a really good column from today. 
Uh, I'll finish on this. On Sunday, following 10 minutes of deliberations, the referee concluded he must send off a player from each side. When they emerged for extra time, he did that. Before he threw in the ball for that extra time, both teams were then back up to 15 players. Some punishment for foul play right there. And don't forget, the earlier red-carded Armagh player, Greg McCabe, was also replaced. Farcical rules guarantee farcical outcomes. What a different game it would have been if it was 14 versus 13 in extra time. Like, yep, yep. the notion that you get your man back that's, that's it's absolutely absurd I, I just can't understand why it hasn't been fixed Colin Mulaney is with us Colin, good morning to you good morning lads what's going on? Uh, lots going on uh, we'll start with that breaking news from uh, down under Ian Henderson's tour of New Zealand is over that's after sustaining a knee injury in training uh, meanwhile the Irish team named for tomorrow's game against the Mary All Blacks in Hamilton uh, Bundyaki set to captain the side five uncapped players included in the starting 15 including Kieran Frawley at out half Jimmy O'Brien starts at full back Jeremy Lockman Joe McCarthy and Keane Prendergast all in the starting team as well uh, last night in football of course the Republic of Ireland moved up to second in their World Cup qualifying group. That's with two games left to go. Vera Powside, 9-0 winners over Georgia in Gorey last night. Katie McCabe scoring a hat-trick for the visitors. Louise Quinn on target twice. Ireland welcomed third place Finland to Tala on September the 1st before fi- finishing their campaign away to Slovakia five days later. Here at home last night, Shamrock Rovers moved 10 points clear. That was at the top of the SSE Artricity League Premier Division. Stephen Bradley side 2-1 winners over Dublin rival St. Pat's in Inchicore. While in the first division, Cork City took full advantage of a slip-up from Galway United to move four points clear at the summit. That was after a 5-0 win over Treaty United. Galway slumped to a 2-0 defeat away to Longford Town. Elsewhere, Waterford beat Athlone 5-2 while it finished 2-all between Wexford and Bray Wanderers. Uh, at Wimbledon, Andy Murray set up a second round clash with John Isner last night. The two-time former champion came from a set down to win his first round match with James Duckworth. Among those in action today include the women's top seed Iga Svantec and seven-time champion Serena Williams in the women's singles. Rafa Nadal and Matteo Berrettini, last year's beaten finalist, among those in action in the men's singles today. Ray Dempsey and Mike Solon among the early favourites to replace James Horn as the Mayo senior football manager. Horn bringing his second four-year term to an end. That was after Sunday's All-Ireland quarter-final defeat to Kerry. In cricket, Ireland will look to get their T20 series with India back on level terms uh, today. Please you to get underway for that one at a sold-out Malahide at half-past four, weather permitting. And there's a seven-race card at Roscommon this evening. The first going to post there at ten-past five. All right, Carl, good stuff. Thanks very much for that. It's uh, 8.47, I think. We have... We do? Yeah. Uh, Tommy, good morning to you. How are you getting on? Good morning, Jarrett. What's the crack? Yeah, all good now. Semi-final week. Uh, this is where he gets going, Jer. Probably even more intense or exciting than a final itself, I'd say, Jer, because there's one thing that's worse than losing a final. That's losing a semi-final. So this is the one. Like, you want to be there and all our final day. Final day is just one of them. You know, it's the magical days. One of the, the days you dream of as, as a kid growing up. Walking out in the parade, meeting the president. You know, staying overnight that night in the, in the team hotel. Uh, maybe coming back to the fans, hopefully, with the cup. But to get there is is the key. And that's the mission uh, this weekend. So, listen, the build-up, I suppose, brings back memories of your own semi-final weeks. And definitely... A big week as regards intensity. What what would you on semi final week? Was it different for you from final week? Was it actually a little bit less pressure in some ways because you were less worried about tickets and all that stuff, or was it kind of similar? Yeah, no, tickets never bothered me. Uh, my mum was very good that way, and uh, we had a good process going there between the two of us. So tickets never bothered me. Uh, um, and we were Brian Cody would have advised that 
And I remember reading things from the team, the Kerry Golden years that time. That, that was a big video in our house growing up. So listening to them guys kind of giving advice in their Sunday World columns and different things. So I learned not to let any of that be any distraction to myself. So no, semi-final was just as big as the final, if not bigger. Because that was the dream, was to get to the final, Jar. Was it any different, the, the build-up to it? Probably not, because we treat every day like an All-Ireland final or a big day. So, yeah, it would be ramped up a little bit, but you're you're ready for it. So, sorry, did, did your ma just look after the tickets? That was it. And everybody knew, no, don't talk to me, talk to the mum. And that was it. She, she decided who was in and who was out. <laughs> I, I can't throw her under the bus here now and pretend that <laughs> she was disappointing people on, on, on final day no I had a diary say if it was on usually it was the first or second week of September I'd have a there in the work diary that Sunday and anyone ever asked me for a ticket I went into the diary and then once we got got the tickets like you could have 50, 60 names in that diary on any All-Ireland final and I still have the diaries there to go back and look at and um but just when we got the tickets then, you asked for how many you could get, really. And when you got them then, you just had to go through it. But I have so many uncles and aunties and cousins that, you know, probably they got probably first preference anyway and a couple of your best friends, you know. Right, OK, fair enough. It's tricky enough. Like, it is something that uh, we, we take for granted. But I've certainly heard players, certainly teams who make it for the first time who don't have that to fall back on, that kind of uh, cultural awareness that this is going to be an issue. And somebody says, look, let somebody else look after this for you. That, that can become a bit of a distraction for players one other thing just before we get on to the games this weekend everybody's talking about the brawl at the weekend um, you guys would have gone down the same tunnel uh, for years with your opponents having not glumps out of each other certainly in the first half of games did it ever did it ever boil over in the tunnel? Uh, no it ours never boiled over in the tunnel but I was involved in a good few that boiled over on the field to be honest here so <laughs> I'm not going to take the high horse in this one or anything like you know unfortunately things like that have happened over the years and um, usually you start at one or two lads and then you kind of come in to back up your teammate my experience of them Ger, really would be to be never really at uh, any punches really or it's usually just pushing and shoving to be honest maybe grabbing lads and maybe you know you pull that grab a lad onto the ground but my experience of it is it never really by lower too badly like with, with, I don't ever remember getting a punch to be honest in, in, in anything like that like so listen I think it might be a good thing really Jared at the end of the day because it probably has been with television cameras now it's so avail- readily available to young people and the wider public that you know it probably is it, it's it's seen so much on iPhones now and, and this that so many people see it it's probably not nice until so years ago the same thing was happening but nobody was seeing it if you know what I mean so it probably will be a good thing, I think, down the road in that. I think the GA will tackle it now and they'll probably, you know, they'll, they'll probably send out letters to county boards and clubs to say, listen, this happens again, there's going to be huge consequences. And when there is consequences, generally people won't probably fall for it as much, you know. Yeah, well, fingers crossed. Uh, OK, so the games this weekend, right? Like, we, we're supposed to know what's going to happen, but do we really, like, are, are, are Limerick untouchable at this stage or is this where you're going to catch them? I think Limerick are raging half favourites, sure. And I think for Galway to play well, they're going to need man of the match performances from their goalie, Anna Murphy, they're going to need Dahi Burke, Dave Burke, 
Um, I know Gerard McInerney probably won't be playing, so I say Joseph Cooney will go back into the half-back line, possibly Paul Mannion centre-back. Um, I, I expect Joseph Cooney to pick up Gerard McInerney and leave like Paul Mannion is more of a hurler, let the ball into him. He kind of covers for his full-back line and half-back line. He's more a reader of the game, I would think, than a man-marker. Now, I know he did mark one Cody earlier on the year from Kenny and did a good job, but I would rather him hitting a load of ball than sacrificing his game. So I'd rather probably see him in the centre, but Connor Wheel and Connor Cooney. So they're going to need man-of-the-match performances, Ger, out of all these big players, I think, for him to have a chance. And just like the last day against Cork, goals won that game for him. They're going to need a couple of goals on Sunday to beat this Limerick team. The concerns um, people have over injuries this season just seem to be so heightened, Tommy. Like, I mean, it's going to be a big storyline going into the football semi-finals as well. Just a lack of time to get over injuries. Like, is your gut feeling that Limerick will have a full deck to choose from this weekend? Obviously, the big question is around Keane Lynch, but like, it's, it's ten weeks between games now. If he if he does play this weekend, like, is that, is that a concerning factor at all? If you're trying to find trying to pick holes in in, in the Limerick argument. Yeah, I think, uh, Owen, it's, it's a lot easier coming into a, a brilliant team than maybe come in and expect them to be the main player on the team. I think if Keane Lynch is to be picked this weekend, it's just to fit into that, you know, Rolls Rice of a machine that they have at the moment. He's just one player of part of the 15. Towards if he's on any other team in the country, like we'll say a Tony, Tony Kelly or an Owen Cody or uh, we'll say, you know, Dahi Bork for Galway, you're expected, to, or Conor Whelan will say the forward for Galway, you're expected that if you don't play well, the team will lose. Towards Keane Lynch won't have that worry. So John Kiley can throw him in. Um, you know, he can put him in centre forward there. Cotton O'Neill has been there and doing quite well, but he's a young player. And maybe he, he, he'll want to maybe show faith in Cotton O'Neill, say, listen, you have the jersey and you've done quite well, so you can hold on to it. But there's certain players that if they're fit, they play. And Keane Lynch is one of them for me. So I would be thinking even you'd be looking forward without cockiness because John Kiley wouldn't do that. Paul Kinnerp wouldn't do that. But with an eye on, listen, if we're in the final, we will need John, We will need Keane Lynch. So I would be throwing him in anyway, yeah. Is there anything that we've seen from Galway this year that gives them confidence heading into this game that there's enough about them from a physicality perspective, from a hurling perspective, because like, it, it doesn't feel like they've peaked yet under Shefflin. It feels like this is still a building process and their their own identity is still being worked out a little bit. Now, having said that, the one thing that they have done is that they've fought hard and they've won tight games. And so that's that's a good starting point to build your identity off. But like, who are they as a hurling team and what do they have that they're going to fall back on when it comes to the challenge of facing Limerick this weekend? Yeah, I, I think the one thing that they'll have gone firm, Ger, is history. So you go back to the to, to the last couple of years. Um, they brought them to was it a pint in the All Ireland final? Um, they brought them to three pints uh, in 2020 All Ireland semi final, 27 pints, 24. So if there is one team over the last five or six years that has been consistently putting it up to this Limerick team, it has been Galway. And, and that, that I think, going into a game, confidence, and some teams always have, they just have the number on another team. And it's hard to explain. If they went out to play, if the two teams went out to play one other team in the morning, one team could beat them by 20 points, the other team might only beat them by five. But when they play each other, it seems to be always close. Uh, go back to the 1980 final, um, where, which Galway beat Limerick, in, again, the first time to win an All-Ireland in probably 50 or 60 years. I think it was 1923. So the one thing Galway have against Limerick, they have tradition, they have history. And 
I think that's what is all they have. Like you're asking me about what a chef from probably brought. Like he has brought intensity, he has brought a consistent work rate and physicality to Galway team. But he can't he can't invent players, if you like. Got this Galway team, their main players are still the, the, the main players that were there in 2017 and 18. They're still the Dahi Burks, the Dave Burks, the Roy McNerney, even though he's injured, the Joseph Cooney's, Connor Whelan, Connor Cooney. They're st- still the spine of this team. So I think, he, he, you know, they, they can't just create a, a magical team overnight. It has to be coming in from, from an underage structure. And obviously there is young lads coming like Glennon and Tom Monaghan and, you know, Keenan Fahey. So there is young players coming, but the main players are still that older, you know, 27, 28 to 30 age group. So I think, the, the, how can how can Galway win this weekend? I think the fact that Limerick are raging half favourites won't help Limerick as such even though they're a seasoned team but it'll still can lead to a little bit of complacency and if Galway can turn up there with one of these performances of the ages I think that's their only chance really of winning the semi-final to be honest like, To kind of circle back to uh, the, the first question there on these like about Limerick and semi-finals are, like do we just kind of read too much into what happened in 2019 you know the the, the, the Kilkenny situation and the, the sort of presumption that maybe they just got caught a little bit cold at the semi-final stage in a way that maybe they wouldn't have got caught in the final and is that just the, the one thing you could potentially cling to this weekend um, I don't think they were caught that day really to be honest uh, on um, I, I like I they battles. You can't even nine or ten points ahead early in that game, but they battled to, to the very end and only for the sideline cut. Maybe they would have, you know, the, was it a sixty-five or was it not a sixty-five? Could have been a draw game. So I think a team that gets stunned is a team that maybe they just fall apart maybe in the last 15, 20 minutes because they weren't ready for it. I think they were ready for Kilkenny and they love playing Kilkenny really because they see it as to be them will be a, a major, you know, feather in the cap there to win an All Ireland. So. If you look at that year, I think that was the third time they could possibly have beaten in championship that year. So I think it was just one of those years. But since then, they've just been an absolute machine. It's just victory after victory. Players missing. One goes out, one comes in. They drop Aaron Galland, they pick someone else. Seamus Flanagan doesn't play one day, he's played the next. Like you look at the Munster final, for example. Clare, they marked all their top marquee players, kept them relatively, relatively quiet. Seamus Flanagan then steps up with eight points from play. So I just think this... Got this Limerick team, their major advantage over everybody else is they rely on no one. Yes, they need, you know, most of their players to chip in and that like you would any team to win a match, but they don't rely on any one or two individuals. Each one of them nearly in the forward line or nearly match winners on their own. And as you said, injuries are starting to come back into it there now. And lucky enough for Limerick, it's not will they be out, it's will they be back. So these guys are nearly over their injuries. So Peter Casey is possibly going to be featured at some stage and Keen Lynch. So that's coming into a team that is Munster champions. They're after winning four in a row in Munster. They're going for, is it what? I'd say this is to reach their fourth All-Ireland, is it, in five years? So listen, this Limerick team, they will have to be caught to be beaten in the semi-final, I think. Or, or a sending off. That's the only other thing that you can see, an, an early red card that might swing the game. And like there has been a little bit of that in Limerick this year. So... Maybe that's something that happens that like is is not planned for, but uh, it it levels things up a little bit. Yeah, and I always find as well they focus on maybe team playing the edge when they're the champions or they're the favourites. Or if a team is the underdog, jar and they play like Limerick are playing, people are saying they're up for this game, they're fired up, and 
they won't be bullied today. You know, all these kind of phrases. But when they're champions are, and you're doing it, it's cynicism, it's playing on the edge, it's, um, you know, not focusing on the game. I, but this Limerick team does play like that. So listen, the way Hurling is refereed now, the way the game is refereed, the way television cameras are being reviewing everything, you have podcasts, you have radio shows, reviewing everything all week. There is more pressure on referees that they can't just kind of... Like, if you remember, Cher, always looking at hurling games, there was no yellow cards, right? So you book the lad and you send them off. But say if you book the lad in the first few minutes and then he, you know, there was an innocuous foul maybe later on in the game, but he could pretend, you know, listen, he's noting them down. Yeah. But now when you're give, giving you a, a knock off, if you like, Alongside the names in the diary on the All Ireland final, were you also taking notes of who was calling your team cynical and that, that stuff as well? <laughs> you're on it, Jared. That's what you're asking. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. I think I was always a defender of that Kilkenny team. Come here. Um, th- let's talk about Kilkenny then, right? Uh, I don't. I don't know what to expect from this game. Like, I genuinely don't because. Clare have been one of the stories of the summer so far and when everything goes well for them they're absolutely majestic and yet at the same time they're coming off the back of coming through the back door and the disappointment and granted you know I thought against Wexford it was like one of those trap games for them that they managed to navigate their way through even though it required a little bit of good fortune so do you feel great after something like that or are you a little bit concerned are you a little bit tired I don't know what the truth of that is and I also don't know what the truth is about this Kilkenny team because, you know, there could be a rising generation who are ready to take the mantle and be great hurlers for Kilkenny for the next four or five seasons. Or they might just not be good enough and they can get found out in the semi-final. So every single one of those outcomes is on the cards for this one. I don't know what's going to happen here. Yeah, well, going back to your first thing, I think it is a perfect situation for Clare. They played unbelievable in the Munster final and lost going into that match against Wexford I did fear for him to be honest because uh, I said it then and it's still in my mind when you play really well and lose you have everybody clapping in you in the back telling you're a great lad but you're still devastated because you lost and you can't get outside but everyone is congratulating saying listen you did as proud and uh, you didn't let the, the jersey down towards when you when you lose and you play badly well then you, you know it yourself you don't need anybody to tell you but they are probably you know there's people criticising the team or criticising yourself. Listen, you're probably criticising yourself anyway and you're hearing it probably, you know, you might be hearing it directly but you're probably hearing it indirectly. So it's easy then to be motivated for the next match because every train, you're just getting more ready and more ready towards this day or this day now. They got over that match, right? So now going into this semi-final, they're going to be kind of under the radar. Nobody's talking about them as the hottest of favourites. thing and the bookies is probably even enough in it against a Brian Cody to Kenny team. So I think it's a perfect situation for Brian Lohan. Brian Lohan, I'd say, would love to get one over on this Kilkenny team. Like I was looking at the championship performance, championship uh, record between Kilkenny and Clare. Like when his team was was at its peak, they, they, they beat Kilkenny in 1997. Then were beaten in 1999, beaten in 2004, beaten in 2006. So that Clare team, you know, well when they were at their peak, I suppose they would love to get a few more victories over on Kilkenny. And Brian Lohan would be a proud Clare man not from, I suppose, the traditional top three of Tipperary, Cork and Kilkenny. So any time to get a victory over them or any time that you have a better team maybe than them, you want to be coming away with a victory. So I see huge motivation come from Brian Lohan on, on this one. 
Uh, I think he'll have these guys primed to beat Kilkenny. Like you can imagine what's going on in that dressing room all week. This is Clare's chance to finally put one over on one of the big guns and get to an All Ireland final. And uh, I think, listen, I think it could be like, you know, the Trill in Manila, the Rumble in the Jungle. I think myself, this will be an epic Saturday night. All right, that's um, our appetite is suitably wet. Do you think Kilkenny are going to win? I think it's going to be so tight. Uh, they really do. Um, like I was looking at the players um, on both teams, Joe, right? You have Tony Kelly for Clare. You have TJ Reid for, for Kilkenny. You have Owen Cody for Kilkenny. Shane O'Donnell for Clare. You have Big Walter Welch for Kilkenny. Peter Duggan for, for Clare. Adrian Mullen scoring loads of points out around half-hour midfield for Kilkenny. Dave Fitzgerald is doing the very same for Clare. Paddy Deegan on the half-back line, inspirational for Kilkenny. David Mack uh, on the other side for Clare. Hugh Lawler full-back has just been, after growing into an absolutely outstanding full-back for Kilkenny, but so is Conor Cleary for Clare. So, like, when you go through the players, kind of, you know, man versus man, like, it, it looks like just an absolute enthralling encounter. And um, manager even versus manager, Cody versus Lohan, very similar type characters with huge standards and huge respect and authority. So, it's going to be so close. hard to call it, like, you know, but I'm going to go with, I don't know, you listened to James Scahill's podcast with Will there and Paul there a few weeks ago, but I think it was before the Leinster final and, they asked James who was going to win. He said Galway and Will was pushing him and pushing him. But why do you think? Because I just really, really want him to win. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to go with Kenny for the very same reason. That's fair enough. That is that is fair enough. Uh, the the like There's a strong possibility we end up in extra time, in certainly in this game. And who knows where that takes us. Like, uh, Would you be terribly surprised if this ended in a penalty shootout? Jeez, I hope it doesn't, Ger. I absolutely hate penalty shootouts. Um, remember during COVID, I was in a, a petrol station in Kilkenny and um, met a father of a young fella. Now, during COVID, I could understand the penalty shootouts, you know, because, the, I don't know, you couldn't have replays of competitions and stuff like that. You were trying to keep crowds to a minimum and that. But his, I think his son was after, son was after missing, but under 14, so after missing a penalty and lost the the final like you know and I was just this is heartbreaking like you know and so uh, you know like these are amateurs and um, they have to go back to work so they're not getting paid and rewarded for for this risk of losing and, and getting you know you're the one person that missed the penalty to, to, to lose an all-earned semi-final or lose the final so I'd love if they went and that's that's a fact like imagine if that was your own son or brother, or father, or, or you know, wife or girlfriend, like it affects everybody. At least in a match, if you get maybe a point and you miss, say if you miss a ball, but you could still probably blame three other players. You know, why did he let it pass them? Why did the goalie miss that puck out in the first few minutes? Who made the mistake for the goal? You can still make a load of different excuses and blame other people, but in a penalty shootout, really, it's just you and whoever else missed. And even watching the footballer the weekend. I was hoping three or four lads had missed it so that one lad wouldn't get the blame, you know? Yeah. So, oh, I don't see these penalty shows just finish them for that reason, like, you know, because it's not like, <clears throat> say, a professional, you might live in a place, but you might know the whole community. Towards in Ireland, you know everyone, you know? You're not getting out. Yeah. <laughs> the flip side of that then is that Matthew Tierney will never have to buy a pint in Galway ever again. Yeah, <laughs> I know, I know. It's tough, it's tough. Um, Okay, so it's a it's a Limerick Kilkenny All Ireland final is what you're calling tentatively. Yeah, 
Yeah. Fair enough. You have a shout out for us this week. Yeah, the show this week, Ger, uh, I suppose, awfully in the minor other than uh, this weekend is in Nolan Park. Um, just remarkable from where they've come from. Michael Dyden has went back into Offaly as county board chairman. And like, it's just, he's driving everything, football and hurling. Um, like a, a rising tide lifts all boats. There's a great saying. And like bringing busloads of children to matches. As they're on social media during the, the COVID, the, during the lockdowns, they were just driving everything. Coaches that have gone into schools, have coaches gone into clubs. I think just huge work on in underage. And they're now in an all Ireland final uh, this weekend. So the best of luck to them. Um, but my show this weekend goes back to the team, the great team, I suppose, of the 90s. The three Dooley brothers are my show, Joe, Billy and Johnny. Uh, just three amazing hurlers and have three of them coming out of one family, the one club. It's just such a credit to, to their own family, I suppose, and their own club. But I remember watching, I'd say it was the 94 All-Ireland. And I don't know this, if anyone watching, there used to be a big poster, a big banner up on the hill. Yabba Dabba Dooley. <laughs> <laughs> It always, it always, it's always funny every time I see it. And even if you see real in the years of any of them now, it always brings you back to that time. And like Johnny Dooley, like, you know, probably changed, like say that great Limerick team that time, the great Watford team, great, great players. They were just so close not to win an All-Ireland. If Johnny Dooley hadn't went for that 21, went for the goal, if he had to win for a point, like he, he was supposed to. Um, you know, Offaly's history might not be what it is today. They might not have won 94, they might not have won 98 either. So Johnny Dooley had a huge bearing. And he was, everybody, Brendan Taunton about him. And definitely around that time, he would have been a lot of guys' favourite hurlers. Then I went on lucky enough to play a Shinty Irelva Cup. And I was involved with Joe Dooley, the brother. And Joe had that magical day in the all semi semi-final against Clare at 1998. I think he scored five points from playing. He was probably 34, 35 at the time. But a great hurling man again and loved me time with him and you know myself and Jackie Turl and, and Hoggy and a few of them we were there with, with Joe Dooley and just a great hurling man as well and brought huge I suppose you know colour and passion he was awfully manager later on in his years and I'm sure Billy you can't forget Billy because in that All-Ireland 94 three balls out of him standing on the sideline over the hurl three points over the bar and uh, I thought you know if ever was a case for a car for not to be running around <laughs> <laughs> it was Billy stand over on the 21 and well listen Billy Dooley was again I was up in Cherokee in one time and a great driving force in that club then through a friend of mine Huey Hannon and Billy you know that's what you like to hear he, he goes back to the club and he drives it on as well so the three Dooley brothers big shout out to them this week and I suppose the awfully era and, and the small I suppose hurling population there in general like the, you had the Borough team of the 90s that we all grew up looking at, four or five club all-earners, you know, the Hanafis, Brian Whelan, you know, just amazing hurlers. And um, John tried then I met him at the South Liberties Golf Classic there last weekend um, in Ballyneasy. And uh, I was lucky enough to meet, uh, just shook hands with him as all, like John Troy. And uh, I didn't realise, I don't think we had met, I don't think we had met before, which is amazing. Like, And my memory of John Troy would have been against Antrim. Um, it's probably the semi-final of it's probably 94, 95 I, I'd imagine where the ball went and he flicked it back the, you know that Gerard Higgerty we see him do now but this was even more exaggerated flick back into his hand and absolutely buried it and you know John Try, I think John Try did I hear one three either one three or played in three or four minor all-earns that time 
which he, is he played goals know, as well, like the brother, <laughs> as as I think as a fifteen year old in the Ireland final, if memory serves. As a fifteen year old, like they're, they're amazing stories, like you know, and um, so a big shout to the Dooleys and, and all the lads. One last thing about the Dooleys, all different styles, like completely not. You know, if you if you look like um, the the Mars Tipperary very similar style I would say the Walsh's in Kilkenny fairly similar style but the Dooleys are like they're like three completely different hurlers one the ultimate stylish uh, one the corner forward who is like letting everybody let the ball do the work for him and then the other one is just an absolute marauding battler with like uh, an ability octopus arms to score points off either side and um, and try and run the game from, from 11 it's a completely different individuals and characteristics yeah, and uh, it's not great because you know when when you're looking at teams, say for a young player going up, do I need to be as big as Grod Hegarty? Uh, do I need to be as stylish as TJ Reid? Do I need to be you know as clinical as Aaron Galan? No, you can be just be yourself. You enjoy, these are three guys from the one family, the one you know one genetics, and they're three different hurlers, but they still made it. And we're still heroes and scored vital scores and we're part of a, a great team for, for many years. So you're 100% right there, Jerry. Yeah. Good stuff. Tommy, enjoy the games this weekend. Thanks a million. Cheers. Yeah. No, thank you. Right, right, right. Tommy Walsh giving us his thoughts ahead of the All-Ireland hurling semi-finals this weekend, which have definitely been overshadowed up to this point in the week. Yeah, like, and that's the nature of the calendar as well, is that you're not going to have these long run-ins into uh, these games. I think it probably will also kind of dampen the, the fallout from the football a little bit as well. Like, I mean, tomorrow probably goes goes full preview mode, doesn't it, for a semi-finals weekend? Maybe, yeah. Okay, we, we're we're moving on. We're sticking with, uh, with the GAA because we're joined now by former Cork minor hurler Owen Cadigan as he previews the Electric Ireland GAA minor hurling championship final between Tip and Offaly. It's in a couple of minutes' time, actually. Tell you what we're going to do. We're going to tell you what's... Um, mm. uh, I'm going to read these comments for you. Tommy's a legend and so approachable, I'd imagine, says Frank. Come on, Limerick. Uh, Tommy Walsh has no equals, says N. Cren. Uh, here's what's coming up on OTB Sports Radio today. Nigel Mansell has OTB Gold at one o'clock. Dadcast is from three. Our career retrospective is Michael Owen at four. OTB Gold is uh, Joe Meath, Ruby Walsh at six. And the show tonight is live from seven with Joe as usual. We're back after these with Cork GAs on Cadigan. OTB AM With Gillette Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar Okay so the uh, Electric Ireland GA Minor Hurling Championship reaches its conclusion this weekend the finals between Tipperary and Offaly on Sunday the 3rd of July Tickets for the match uh, which throws off throws in at uh, half past one in UPMC Nolan Park are available for purchase at ga.ie forward slash tickets TG Carr are airing the match live with coverage starting at one o'clock and I'm delighted to say former Cork Minor Herder amongst other things Owen Cadigan is with us uh, Owen good morning to you how are you getting on? Good morning lads how are you? Yeah good Tommy Walter just on there pointing out how much of a revolution it is for Offaly to have a team in the All-Ireland Minor Hurling Final and uh, like if there is going to be another a second or third coming of Offaly Hurling then this is where it really needs to start with, with the underage groups and whatever work they're doing in Offaly at underage level it's really starting to bear fruit yeah, it's pretty evident, I suppose, if, even if you look back to last year's under-20 All-Ireland football success and now to be another All-Ireland final at minor level, it's as clear as day that the work that's been put in at ground level and by Michael Dignan, I suppose, is quite progressive one. And two, they've identified that we need up-and-coming players to be getting to semi-finals, finals, not alone competing, but winning. Um, and ultimately, that builds confidence 
within the county, within the supporters, and most importantly within the players. So uh, it's a massive achievement to have another team in an Ireland final uh, against Tipperary. And I suppose I've seen it firsthand myself at underage level. Tipperary have won under-21s minor titles, so it should make for a cracking game. Uh, Tommy and Joe were also chatting around uh, siblings and how some households can be very similar, some households can be very different. Uh, are the Cadigan brothers uh, similar hurlers or, or very, very different? Very, very different. Uh, I would describe Alan as the greyhound in the family. He's got the speed, always needs to be ready to go, whereas I'm a bit like a donkey, just get up, get it done. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Play full back, so that says enough about it, doesn't it? Well, I was going to say, because like, uh, the point was, like, uh, the Tipperary Mars are very similar, and I would have said uh, Tommy yeah. and Park Walsh, fairly similar, certainly similar uh, levels of flexibility. I guess Alan just grew up marking you in the back garden. Is that how you were the back and he was the forward? Well, Alan used to come to all the minor training sessions. He used to come to all the 21 training sessions. And when I first started with Park in the senior squad, he used to come to the ball alley with us. He used to come down and pop the balls out from behind the goal. So he wouldn't ever say very much, but I, for sure he was definitely taking it all in because he certainly made his own stamp in terms of the standards that he bears for himself and his ability to win his own ball independently. And I suppose that reflected last week when he did get a chance against Galway. Yeah, and I suppose if he was uh, coming up against you, in fairness, to to win the ball, you'd have to get out in front. And even well, then, there was there was a few um, times during our club training sessions, and even after some of the Cork training sessions, internal games, that there wasn't a whole pile of talk at the dinner table when we came home. <laughs> but it was pretty quick to pick up on it too. I can tell you. Well, you know. <laughs> really you know. You got to drive the standards, however, however they come. Um, we weren't sure whether or not to talk to you about the football last weekend or the hurling this weekend, so we may as well we've, we've started with the hurling. Um, yeah. If 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 you were playing this weekend, uh, who would you most be looking forward to picking up on? Um, and that's this Limerick team, for example. If you know in the week in training, if the manager was taking you sides, okay, your job this weekend is going to be X. Who would you most be uh, looking forward to marking? I don't know what. Looking forward to marking any of those Limerick fellas would be the right description. Um, I've been lucky enough to be in taxed with, I suppose, marking plenty of different ones there. Tom Marcy, Anglan, Gerald Hergerty. Um, and they all bring their own, I suppose, one, physical attributes, and two, obviously, the skill level that they have is immense. Um, I think from a defender's perspective that they're so in sync with each other and they have such an understanding of even their runs for puckouts. Like, it's... It's very well done. Like um, everyone thinks that Nicky Quaid is orchestrating things, but Nicky Quaid is actually hitting the best option at the right moment based off the types of runs that they're doing, and they know exactly what they're doing. There, there's no potluck with the pockets. Like um, even in last year's All Ireland final, uh, I remember at one stage, Tom Marcy, Keen Lynch, and Gerard Hegarty all had gone to the opposite 65 and were trotting back to the positions so we were waiting to pick him up. And they were just looking at each other. And I knew damn well that there was something happening. And before you knew it, Keane Lynch had blocked the run. Tom Marcy had made a run laterally, which you thought was going the hallway. And then he peeled around the back and got the ball in over the top. Like So very, very smart individuals. Um, I think out of all the fellas, I've had plenty of battles with would probably be Aaron Glenn. Um, I said it once I retired. He's a massively physically imposing player. And you don't typically get that from forwards usually. But if you want to mix it with him, he'll mix it back and... Ultimately, he'll do damage when it's needed most in terms of scoring goals and points. And he's a top, top class forward. He he loves defending puck outs and winning dirty ball as much as getting scores. And I think that's 
as a whole, as a group. So um, they're just a top class side. They're outstanding. And if I was the guest right now, I see them being in the final. Based off what I've seen today from Galway in the Leinster final and obviously against Cork last week. Yeah, no, I think that's fair enough. And they're, they're definitely the favourites to do so. Can you just take us back to that? So you're on the field and the three lads are... So your defence is... is uh, on kind of your own 45 is that where yes. yeah yeah so i suppose they're coming back after filtering back the field uh, and as they're coming back obviously it's something to do with either their positioning uh, or after maybe 65 after free they have set runs um and that one from tom marcy in behind once these guys get in behind you early you're in trouble because they're so good in there and i think you'll see that from tom marcy when he cut that ball against um Claire, wasn't it? Um, yeah, Claire, an offload of Garrow County. It's where they're in behind you when they're most dangerous. Same with Aaron Glenn. When the ball is coming in there, he likes to get, swivel in around behind you. And as a defender, you just can't leave that happen. You need, I'd much prefer to have those guys in my eyesight in front of me than to have them in behind me because that's when they're most dangerous. The other thing is, it feels like it feels like certainly when you're watching them and, and when you're at matches you can see the space that they create and how quickly they realise the goal is on like yeah. there's a ruthlessness about going for goals which you know it, it, sometimes they just they beat you with 27 points and they don't need to do the, the goal thing but there's always this kind of I guess as a defender there must be a constant tension like two steps the wrong direction and they're going to feel like they have just enough space to get a pass away for somebody to else to be in space and therefore it's going to be in the back of your net and it's that fast yeah and I suppose if I know a lot of things obviously went wrong in last year's Ireland final and the score was very evident of that um, but earlier in the year in the Munster Championship we decided to push hard on them in their half forward line on Gerald Hegarty uh, Tom Morrissey and Keel Lynch and we actually got a quite a bit of success but the catch 22 and pushing hard in their half forward line is that it creates so much space in behind and you're selling out your full back line in my opinion if you do that um, and even though we negated the half forward line they created oodles of goal chances by runners bypassing us um, and they again like all excellent teams they're they're able to adapt to the situation in front of them and they knew that we were pushing hard on them so the runs were nearly with fierce intent, but there was no real meaningful for actually getting the ball. They were just dragging you out of position knowing you were going to follow. Um, so they have danger on the outside line. They have danger on the inside line. Their halfbacks can score. I think Dimmer Burns got nine points in the last game. Um, so they can score from everywhere. So, And the system doesn't change. Typically, the personnel doesn't change. Um, so it's worked for them uh, and it's still working for them and you'd have to take your head off to them. In retrospect, is there anything you could have done differently in last year's All-Ireland Final that would have had a significant influence on the outcome? Um, obviously, Keen Lynch is, um, I suppose, what he contributed that day in terms of possessions, spreading the ball, rather than pos- possibly holding our lines we should have possibly man-marked him. Um, and if he really wanted to, I suppose, this is a very negative word, the sweeper, we possibly should have filtered one back in behind and allowed our centre-back to push hard on him. Um, obviously, then you have a protection in numbers. Uh, it creates a bit of space and it's 
I suppose it might be something slightly different that Limerick mightn't have been used to. But again, hindsight is, is easy to talk about, lads. We went into that Ireland final really, really feeling that we had a chance. Um, Any time I've played them over the last couple of years, I've always felt that we had the capability of beating them, um, especially after 2019. Um, above in the Gaelic rounds. No, you can say that's a once-off and it was a once-off, but I suppose there's, you know exactly what you're going to get from them. Um, it's can you match at one and getting balls against them is critical if you have any hope of beating them. So say if in uh, an alternate universe you were the man who was asked to man-mark Kean Lynch in that situation, yeah. What can you do? Well, like, what, what, like, tell, tell us all the, the the tricks of the trade that you would be pulling out to, to try and quell the guy who's been referred to as the Messi of hurling. Uh, yeah, and that's exactly what it is. Um, I suppose I, I'm, I'm a realist. Like, I, I understand my limitations. I understand what I was good at as a player. Um, I suppose there's fierce clarity in being told to push on a man because you have to be tight all the time, and if you're not, then you're you're not doing your job correctly. Um, I suppose as a defender, you're you're essentially trying to negate someone. You're you're trying to stop what they're doing all the time. You're trying to stop what they're good at and what they enjoy doing. And that's typically what Far is doing, like taking scores, you know, moments of brilliance. Your job as a defender is to really stop that influence. Um and I think that if you had pushed a bit harder on him um and possibly sat one back in between, it might have been different. But again, hindsight is an easy thing. Um but like you're, you're dealing, as you said, the Messi of hurling. Like he he can do things with his wrists and his hands, like his ability to move the ball out of those contact areas where there's three and four trying to close him down, and next thing the ball is out and you're under even more pressure because you've got runners coming wide then uh, heading straight for goal and no better boys than Gary O'Toole and Tom Marcy to break the line, create the opportunity. If it's on to finish, they will, but they're, they're um, unselfish to be able to pass it off too. So. Or Kyle Hayes um, from deeper, or who knows where he starts. But yeah, like it, and that's the problem. Even when you were talking earlier on about like um, when when you went tight on them as a half back line, they just they just run out the field. They've got the brain power as well yeah. as the physical attributes and the hurling skill. They also have the brain power to recognise, okay, that's what you were doing. We'll just do this to counteract it. It's, um, it is a very high level they're, they're operating at. But I guess the, the point about these questions is that it's not just hindsight that like Shefflin this week and, and his backroom team have the opportunity to plot something. Is there anything that Galway have that give them a sense that actually, you know what, we match up really well against these and in these areas. And so therefore, this is going to be a much tighter game than people are thinking. And it's not going to be six points. It's going to be in the melting pot at the end and who knows what's going to happen yeah I, I'd be interested because obviously I was a, a very close spectator to last weekend's game between Cork and Galway and um, I suppose what was noticeable was they were isolating Conor Whelan essentially in a 1v1 and everyone else was after pulling out the field um, Limerick typically don't follow so like even Tony Kelly getting 12, 14, 16 scores they don't really care like they believe that by holding their shape working the ball through lines, and inevitably, if you want to go for a shootout, we're going to beat you every time. Um, how they, if they do isolate Conor Whelan with 45 yards of space either side, where does Barry Nash go? Where does Sean Finn go? Will they hold? Will they push? One might push and one might stay. Um, I think Galway have all the physical attributes to be able to complete physically with them. Um, my concern would be that, like that scenario where I described Keane Lynch moving the ball out of the, of the tight contact zones in between the two middle thirds I think Limerick have the capability just to get it out get it out there quick so regardless how big and physically you are they just have the hurling smarts to 
get it out of where you don't want it to be to the wings and then deliver long diagonal ball. Um, like Galway had two sweepers back at different stages in the first half uh, against Cork and Cork probably their half forward played slightly too deep because of the load two sweepers to sit in front of Alan Connolly um, and Tim O'Mahony and you know that's just inevitably that's impossible to break down in terms of long balls in because Dahi Burke will have the smarts to get the ball to the ground play set up and away they go like so it'll make for interesting um, view- viewing for sure but I, I purely based on what I've seen this year I just can't see them being beaten alright oh and good stuff great to have you with us this morning thanks a million for your time cheers Thanks, guys. It's uh, Cork's own Cadigan there. A reminder, tickets for the Electric Ireland GA Minor Hurling Championship final between Tip and Offaly on this Sunday are available to purchase at ga.ie forward slash tickets. TG Carr will be airing the match live with coverage starting at one o'clock. OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. We're back tomorrow morning from half seven where we'll have live reaction to Ireland's game with the Mary All Blacks. Deal or no deal is back plus much more besides. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.